0: Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse podcast live stream number 211, which I believe is prime. I am Dr. Brett Weinstein, you are Dr. Heather Hyang, and it is, if my calculations are correct, past the midpoint of winter, almost no matter how you define winter.
1: I imagine you could define winter differently, but... uh,
0: If you uh, define it in a reasonable way, either (laughs) taking the shoulder seasons into account or strictly going... Uh, from the winter solstice to the spring equinox
1: yes we are we are halfway through
0: we are halfway through we are now, I was puzzling through this. You follow uh, these celestial events more diligently than I do, but I was thinking about the question of. Initially, I convinced myself that the midpoint of the technical winter mm-hmm. would be the point at which the day length was changing most rapidly. But then I thought, nope, I don't think that's right. I think it changes most rapidly at the spring equinox. Is that correct?
1: Um, Boy, I'd have to remind myself. Uh, I'm not is is the day length changing the most rapidly at the equinoxes i think that's right but uh it's possible there are little perturbations oscillations in there such that you actually have two two rapid too, well, but no i i think that's right i
0: think that i think that has to be right yeah. because uh do we agree that it is changing least rapidly at the solstices yes okay so yes. then
1: but there's a there's a question about whether or not there's you know just like you know, seasonality in the tropics. Yeah. Okay, so seasonality in the temperate zone uh, is mostly about hot and cold. Uh, but whenever you take students to the tropics, whenever you yourself go to the tropics, you're reminded, okay, so it's not really so much a hot-cold thing because uh, given that day length doesn't vary very much the closer uh, at all when you're at the equator, uh, you don't expect uh, temperature to vary very much. What does vary, though, and what is often highly seasonal, even in uh, rainforests, which um, which have you know some wetness throughout the year is precipitation, is rainfall. And the higher up you go, it may be um, precipitation hanging as water droplets in cloud forests. Um, But in um, even lowland rainforest jungles, colloquially, uh, you do have seasonality. And you have wet and dry seasons is what they say, but it's really wet seasons and wetter seasons. Um, But it's not one wet season a year and one dry season a year. You've got like a longer wet season and a longer dry season and a shorter wet season, and a shorter dry season. So I don't know if there might be, and I, I can't imagine why there would be, uh, but we've, but there's so many, you know, orbits to, to be accounted for and, and, um, and angles um, that I, that I don't know if there isn't a, uh, a quickening of uh, the photo period change as you approach the equinox and then as you go away from the equinox with maybe a little dip in there. And I, like, I Actually, don't think the
0: physics works, but... I, I don't think there's a dip, but I do yeah. think there are two things that match your description and both of them will play a role, but I bet it's tiny. Yeah. And in fact, we've been here once before and somebody uh, weighed in saying that our model was correct, um, that you shouldn't imagine perfect symmetry here. But the two things that are going to be relevant are um, the rate of change at the spring... And fall equinoxes. Mm -hmm. Is that how you pluralize equinox? Equinorum. I'm going to go with equinoxes. (laughs) Yeah. Just to be perfectly safe and conventional. Sure. Um, But as as you always are. The rate of change should be slightly different at the two because, of course, relative to one another. Right. That one of them Mm -hmm. will truly be the fastest moment uh, of change in the year and the other one will lag slightly behind it. and that the reason will have to do with the uh, the non-perfection of the ellipse of our orbit. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, there is some question. The, the year should not be divided perfectly into four quarters because we're not going around the sun in a perfect circle. Right. And there's a perigee and an apogee question, which will adjust the speed of our hurdling. Um, yes. So something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: Um. Yeah, but you but you're right, and um, it, it, we are halfway through winter, uh, more than halfway through winter, and and you can tell it is so much lighter out now uh, at at four thirty at five even than it was a month ago, and it feels good.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, the temperature change has been radical from that deep dip to uh, very mild, and now it's a little colder. But...
1: And here just. I don't know. So the D Minder, the app um, mm-hmm. that uh, we started talking about a couple of years ago, when we were when we started getting focused on, oh, maybe there is no flu season. Maybe it's vitamin D deficiency season, um, right? Uh, and you suggested this app, and and I do use it. Um, I have not vetted it for accuracy, so that's just the the caveat here, the disclaimer at the top. Um, but I was in Portland this week, which is what. 160, 180 miles south of here, something like that. And the Dminder app tells you how many D, at this point in the year, at this, this far north, and as far north as Portland, uh, there's no D that can be made at all at any point throughout the day. Uh, and it's been several months. Uh, the difference in how many days it's going to be before you can make D, according to the Dminder app, uh, in Portland, it's Something like seven days from now, and up here it's 16 days from now. Mm. That's actually a substantial. That's, uh, and, I, and I think I have those numbers right. In which case, that's 18 more days a year up here, less than 200 miles farther north, uh, that you cannot make any D at
0: all. Yeah, that's a that's big a big difference a, for a small traverse over the Earth.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a really big difference, and you know, it's it's about the angle of the sun in the sky. The angle. Need, I think the sun needs to be. I think it needs to be above 30 degrees um, uh, above the horizon before uh, before, be- it's possible to, before it's possible before to synthesize, synthesize D. D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, which um, I think is going to be, I'm almost certain is going to be about the amount of atmosphere that it has to yeah. penetrate before it reaches you. Um, I will also just say anecdotally, I mm-hmm. was thinking about the fact that we are halfway through winter, a little beyond now. It should have been something like February 5th would be halfway, I think. You know, if you it, divide it evenly b- by that, calendar,
1: but, you know, given that the months aren't equal lengths and actually this, I didn't know we were going to talk about this, but this did occur to me that is, is summer the longest season given when we set our, um, set our dates because there's two 31 month days in summer and there's no other span of time with two consecutive 31 month days. Thirty-one day months, sorry, sorry. Thirty-one day months.
0: Well, I don't know. There are musical traditions in which summer is considered endless, and I'm very fond of these traditions, though they turn out to be lies.
1: Yeah, um, but mm-hmm. still, but anyway, no- I was, noble lies, I would say.
0: Yeah, they're good ones. It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of it's sort of a, a positive, positive sentiment if factually inaccurate. Sure. But I was noticing That's a lot of that. Us being, you know, halfway through through winter. Um, that i believe personally and i think it is true across the whole family um we have not gotten all of the little nagging colds and illnesses that often accompany this season
1: for a while
0: yeah and i would say yeah and a lot a lot of
1: people are sick
0: yes a lot of people are sick Mm -hmm. and we have been i i can't say that this is causal but i can say we have been Very diligent over the last couple of years about supplementing vitamin D. And I think even more importantly, when you are in a place where vitamin D can be made, um, doing so deliberately. Going Mm -hmm. out during the right hours, not wearing more clothing than one needs, because Because... the more surface area you have exposed, the better you do at it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, could be happenstance, could be noise, but especially given that it's not just one person. Right? If it's all of us yeah. um, no, and, and you're I, paying more attention, that's more likely to be accurate.
1: I still vastly prefer not to, not to feel that I have to supplement. Yep, uh, And I do not uh, in the non, you know, maybe, maybe a month on either side of, of winter, but really not outside of that at all. And I have always pursued the sun. Um, I I was never a sun bather per se, but I have yep. I have always um, and yeah you know, I I cheated my own photo period in in graduate school by going south of the equator for my research in the northern winter months all of this, um, but I but but I was always prone to um, laryngitis and colds and, yep. and and a little bit to flu and such and um, yeah all of us and it's and and we're taking D but we're also in this time of year taking C and magnesium and zinc mm-hmm. and uh, and. These things, anecdotally, and of four, seem to be working.
0: Yep, I would also say I've been lucky to have traveled. We've traveled some to the tropics uh, in this season, and I traveled with Zach one more time, and definitely made use of it, uh, vitamin D wise. But that cuts both ways because my my anecdotal sense is that as much as going to the tropics is helpful, traveling on airplanes is the opposite um
1: yeah um you know this the story the airline industry tells
0: yeah about their filtration
1: yeah about their filtration and the uv filters and and all of this uh is somewhat compelling
0: yeah but it's not it i think that is compelling at the level of the recirculation i don't think there's much that helps you if the guy behind you is coughing and you're vulnerable because you're no I,
1: i think you're right and i think um you know that I think um that the first time I got COVID in February twenty twenty was on a plane back from LA. Yeah. Uh and uh, you know, the guy across the aisle from me who had actually was assigned to the seat that I was in and I didn't I didn't realize that he took He took my seat because the seat I ended up in was broken, Mm -hmm. um, but he had sat in it for a while. I was, I was latent on the plane. He had sat in it for a while and he was hacking across the aisle the entire time. And he had been hacking in the seat that I was in and dripping and all of this. And, and I got super, super sick. So, uh, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, obviously, usually whole plane loads of people don't end up sick, but if you're right in the sphere of influence, you probably do have a chance.
0: Yep. I was reminded of that uh episode in our family history Zach also got sick at the same time yeah I'm and still uh, um <laughs> anyway I was reminded you know in dealing with all of the various back and forth about whether there was a novel pathogen if there was a novel pathogen whether it was actually COVID I was reminded of that because at the time COVID didn't occur to us because it wasn't supposed to be present and um yeah but here's the interesting fact that I remember I remember but so- a
1: month later I was
0: like
1: what Wait a minute. Right. It had to have been. Yeah. But at
0: the time, I remember, A, looking at you two as sick as you were and thinking, having had a history of being very vulnerable to respiratory diseases, I do not want what they have. And I was quite afraid that I was it was going to be impossible to avoid it being in the same uh, house with you guys as sick as you were. Yeah. And I remember also... It's an odd anecdote, but I was staring at the thermometer. We had one temperature thermometer Mm -hmm. um, for taking a person's temperature in the house. And I was staring at it, thinking, I should take my temperature and see if there's any indication. And I was thinking. I'm sure that it's sterile. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that that seems a crazy thought to me. I'm sure I had used isopropyl alcohol on it, but you guys were anomalously sick even before we were thinking COVID had anything to do with this.
1: Right. And, you know, the term that ecologists use uh, for organisms that can survive or indeed thrive in extraordinary circumstances are extremophiles. Yep. And especially since we didn't know what this was um, and, and, you know, it's still, there's still a question as to, you know, how robust the thing is and, you know, maybe which, what thing it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not a, you know, deep sea hot vent extremophile. It's not a sulfur pool in Yellowstone extremophile. Right. Uh, but extremophile is a thing that, you know, that natural selection uh, can, can create from some, you know, rare mutation and go like, let's run with that because that's working right now. So, Uh, You know, of all of the ways to potentially, you know, if if the goal is spread, if the goal is virulence, and in the modern world, uh, it's, you know, you're being very careful and you're staying away from people, but you share a thermometer, that might well be a mode um, that is discovered uh, by would-be extremophiles.
0: There's no evolutionary reason something couldn't uh, discover a mechanism to get through the um, the bottleneck that we attempt to create with something like isopropyl alcohol. The one thing that does protect us is that to do so, a pathogen would have to surrender other capabilities right? Um, for reasons of trade-offs. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't expect to see that pathogen. And I, th- I think my concern about the thermometer, we now know whatever was circulating yeah. did not have those special capacities and indeed wasn't fomite transmittable at least at first at all. And as far as we know, still isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but nonetheless, the the reason it was important to me was just, I have a data point that says I was looking at you and looking at Zach and thinking whatever they've got, that's odd. This Mm -hmm. is not the normal thing um, that people have now could be an anomaly, but, um, but there was something weird about it even before, uh, we were thinking in terms of, uh, SARS-CoV-2.
1: No, and it's and it's worth thinking, you know, if uh, you know probably probably at that point I don't remember exactly but probably we could have afforded another thermometer. Sure. And um it, you know you you don't get of everything that you might possibly share within yeah. a household. There's, uh, there, there are reasons that people live together beyond wanting to be in each other's company, and some of those are economic ones, right? So
0: you don't need more thermometers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Uh, however, however, thinking it through and thinking through, like, okay, uh, this risk seems low. On the other hand, um, if I'm wrong and I get this sickness, uh, those, those stakes just went so high that maybe it's just worth not
0: yeah. taking that risk. Actually, right? I, I now even remember better what I was thinking because I was looking at this thermometer, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't a glass thermometer. It oh, was, was an electronic pla- one. And so there was a seam where the metal tip yeah, yeah, yeah. intersects with the plastic. And yep. my question was, all right, is is there any way that a yeah. pathogen could get in there and not be touched by the isopropyl alcohol? Right. Now, obviously, if you soaked it in the isopropyl. Um, but, no,
1: but that, I mean, that's that. There it is, right? I mean, this... You know, entirely a mercury based, entirely encased in glass, glass thermometer,
0: you just dunk that thing.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you just, you submerge it in isopropyl or hydrogen peroxide and, and, you know, sterilize it and be on your way. But, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Um. Not really the top of the hour anymore, no, but no, uh, no. I think we need to get to our, um, our ads, but uh, I just want to say, uh, we're, uh, live streaming on rumble, please. Um, whether or not you tend to watch or, uh, listen on rumble, please come over to the dark horse channel on rumble and, and join there. That actually helps us out. We're trying to get to a hundred thousand subscribers by middle of April. Yeah.
0: It helps us free to you. Yeah. Free um. to you.
1: Um, and, uh, and then also, um, there's lots of stuff going on at our locals, uh, which uh, there's a there 's a watch party right now, and you you guys have put up a lot of what you did in Panama uh up there behind our our locals paywall, so uh consider joining us there yeah, there's and good stuff, and there yeah. will
0: be more stuff put there. I would just ask one other thing um, yeah. I try not to pay attention to this, but I am crawling and have been crawling towards a million twitter it's... uh followers forever right it 's been very, very slow for some reason that I does not feel organic but maybe it is some
1: on the scale or an ass on the scale
0: It could be something like (laughs) that but anyway um if you haven't uh if you haven't followed me on twitter I'd appreciate that one as well also free and if I'm going to say impertinent things all of a sudden that's going to be the spot
1: yeah sometimes here
0: occasionally Occasionally.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, we only do uh, two Q&As a month at this point, and um, and there's not one today. When they do happen, they're also on local. So again, another reason to join us there. Um, and then we're just going to bring and do our ads before launching into the rest of, of the show. We, as always, have um, three sponsors uh, whom we carefully vet and choose. And so you can be sure that if we are reading ads, um, we actually truly vouch for these sponsors. And so without further ado, you are first. Wow.
0: Yeah. All right. You
1: can tell because it says our first.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. no. If, had I read it ahead of time, yeah. that would have been the thing. But um, our first sponsor this week is MD Hearing. We have friends and family who have hearing loss. There's a good chance that you do too. While we don't have a need for hearing aids ourselves, we have a good friend who does. We asked her to assess MD Hearing's newest product carefully and honestly. Her testimonial is at the end of this ad. MD Hearing makes high-quality, simple, and effective hearing aids for a tiny fraction of what most hearing aids cost, helping bring audio clarity and capacity to people who might not otherwise be able to afford it. MD Hearing was founded by an ENT surgeon who made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that anyone could afford. MD Hearing is an FDA-registered rechargeable hearing aid that costs a fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. MD Hearing's brand-new XS model costs 90% less than clinic hearing aids. You don't need a prescription, which also means there's no middleman. Here's the newest testimonial from our friend who has substantial hearing loss and who relies on hearing aids. We asked her to try MD Hearing's newest product, and this is what she said. MD Hearing Aids, new XS hearing aids, mm. MD hearing, MD hearings, new XS. Yeah, see, it's, a, it's an <laughs> editing error. MD hearings, new XS hearing aids are powerful yeah, so, energy.
1: Neo, you, and you, excuse me, drop the relevant word though. It's called the Neo, the Neo XS hearing aid. the
0: white rabbit. <laughs> do it, man. All right, I'm now going to read. <laughs> uh, do you think if I read all the words on the page, it'll be right.
1: I think it's fine. Okay. MD
0: Hearing Aid's new Neo XS hearing aids are powerful, energy efficient, and tiny. Wow, that felt good. They come with settings for quiet, social, noisy, and restaurant situations. The battery life is over 18 hours with a short recharge time. The restaurant setting actually works better than the restaurant settings on my far more expensive pair, amplifying sound within several feet of me and muffling sound in the rest of the environment. Wow. Sounds like I could use them. hate noisy restaurants. The testimonial yeah that's good yeah what maybe you should maybe i should i also tested them in a room with a white noise generator in discord voice chat and on phone calls with and without speakerphone as with the previous sets i've tested the only significant difference between these and my usual set hearing aids that cost about 12 times as much is smartphone integration with app control with that single exception md hearing aid is making all the hearing functionality of very expensive hearing aids accessible to everyone all right, end of testimonial. So if you want MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever, go to shopmdhearing.com and use promo code DARKHORSE to get their new $397 when you buy a pair offer. That's S H O P M D H E A R I N G.com and use our promo code DARKHORSE to get their new $397 when you buy a pair offer. Wow. Excellent. Okay. Not excellent at the reading level. Excellent at the quality of the hearing aid level.
1: Yeah. Yes. So we hear.
0: So we hear. That's a pretty good slogan right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we hear. All right. Our second sponsor this week is Helix. Helix makes truly fantastic mattresses that are supremely sleep enhancing. Uh, And while I am going to read this ad straight um, after this, I will say that I was away for six nights and I came home and slept on our Helix mattress last night next to you. And it was such a relief. So great. Such a great mattress.
0: Part of that was about being back with me.
1: Absolutely. And then, but uh, yes. And then it was disenhanced what's the word wow disenhanced I mean that (laughs) may
0: even be a new word yeah
1: by the by the cats who were very grateful to see me who uh, tried yeah uh, I am not a good
0: substitute for you when it comes to those cats and cats and their preferences yeah yeah Yeah.
1: so but even with even with the cats and their preferences the mattress uh, made for an excellent night's sleep have you ever been traveling yes I have and climbed into bed only to discover that the mattress wasn't comfortable yep Conversely, have you ever experienced the feeling of relief when you discover a great mattress, uh, one that lets you sleep comfortably through the night? Helix is that mattress. It's amazing what a difference it makes. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand, that brand, that offers 20 different mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz online and in less than two minutes you will be directed to which of their many mattresses is best for you. Do you sleep on your back, your stomach, or your side? Do you toss and turn or sleep like a log? Do you prefer a firmer or softer mattress? All these are taken into consideration with the Helix Sleep Quiz and they have special mattresses for big and tall adults and one for kids as well. Once you find your perfect mattress, it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge, then you'll have a hundred nights to try it out without any penalty. If you love it, which you probably will, they've got 10 to 15 year warranties on all of their mattresses. Every Helix mattress combines individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top, providing excellent support for your spine and comfort for all of you. Helix has been awarded the rank of number one mattress by both GQ and Wired magazine. Helix mattresses are made in America at their very own manufacturing facility. They're built for human bodies and built to last. Helix also supports military, first responders, teachers, and students by giving all of those groups a special discount. Not en masse, but individually. Uh, we've had our Helix mattress for well over a year at this point, uh, and look forward to it providing us with years more of excellent sleep. Helix is offering twenty percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to HelixSleep.com/Darkhorse and use code HelixPartner20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts
0: now. It is an awfully good mattress.
1: Yeah, it just is. And f- finally, our final sponsor this week is Ancient. It's Armra. Armra is colostrum. Colostrum is the first food that every mammal eats, produced in the first two or three days of an infant's life, and is nutritionally different from the milk that comes in afterwards. Mammals have existed for 300 million years, give or take a few tens of millions of years, and the first food every mammal has eaten is colostrum. Colostrum serves many vital functions, including that of protecting and strengthening the mucosal barriers of infants before their own barriers mature. Modern living breaks down your mucosal and immune barriers, and armor is the superfood that builds it back. Armor colostrum protects and strengthens your body's barriers, creating a seal that guards against inflammation and everyday toxins, pollutants, and other threats. Armor uses their cold-chain biopotent technology to concentrate colostrum's 400-plus living nutrients into the most pure and bioavailable form. According to a review published in the journal Clinic Nutrition Open Science in 2022, bovine colostrum has been used to treat cancer, AIDS, polio, heart disease, and rheumatoid arthritis. It is a general anti-inflammatory, and its use in adults is known to increase lean muscle mass, improve athletic performance and recovery time, support healthy digestion, and reduce allergy symptoms. Armra starts with sustainably sourced colostrum from grass-fed cows from their co-op of dairy farms in the U.S. They source only the sur- surplus colostrum after calves are fully fed. And unlike most colostrums, which use heat pasteurization, pasteurization that depletes nutrient potency, Armour uses their cold-chain biopotent technology, an innovative process that purifies and preserves the integrity of hundreds of bioactive nutrients, while removing casein and fat to guarantee the highest potency and bioavailability of any colostrum available on the market. The quality control is far above industry standards, including being certified to be glyphosate-free. Benefits of Armour's colostrum also include clearing of blemishes, shinier, thicker hair, stabilization of blood sugar levels, and acceleration of fat burning. And colostrum has been shown to significantly improve fitness endurance and significantly decrease recovery time after intense exercise. Armour has a special offer for the Dark Horse audience. Receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash darkhorse or enter darkhorse to get 15% off your first order. That's T R dot slash
0: darkhorse. You ever look at mammals and think yes. that's a really weird thing to have covered them in?
1: Some. A little bit, but not, not really because honestly, I look at I look at more basal reptiles mm-hmm. um, who have um, the thing that hair evolved from, which is scales.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, yeah, I get scales and I feel like I get fur.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but then I look at birds, yeah. which are also reptiles. And um, and I look at what their scales have turned into. And they still have scales. You look at their their legs and, and such, they do have scales. Um, but then feathers are also homologous with and downstream of uh, of. Of scales, and I think if you if you got if you're thinking scales, feathers, fur, which is weirdest? I'm going with
0: feathers. Well, I think feathers are coolest. The level of the um, the geometry that causes the filaments of the feather to function like little self adhering zippers that thing's pretty awesome.
1: And that's only I mean, and, and there are multiple types of feathers on almost all birds yep. as well. So that's that's uh, that's flight One, feathers. Yeah.
0: Like feathers. Um, i think
1: those are like primaries
0: yeah i mean well i'm not an expert on the many different kinds of feathers there are lots of downy feathers that don't have that thing right. on them, but yeah. then there are also lots of different kinds of feathers on uh, a yeah. flighted bird that that do the zipper thing but anyway the the thing that weirds me out about fur
1: mm-hmm.
0: is a the huge amount of surface area to it yeah right you ever rinse a paintbrush it takes forever to get the paint out of it because you've got all of these cylinders covered in paint on all sides.
1: Or hair.
0: Yeah, same, same <laughs> yes. kind of thing.
1: Like, why does this take so long? Right, yeah. so
0: why would, if you had an animal that was in danger of getting into something uh, gross, maddie, um <laughs> why would you want all that surface area where that stuff can stick and be hard to to mm-hmm. get off? And yeah. then also it provides a landscape for parasites and you know obviously creatures with scales and uh creatures with feathers have those parasites too but it seems to me but that they kind of furs... go
1: but in in between oh huh? yeah like ticks will go in between scales and yeah. a lizard and such um but yeah fur th- things can really get burrowed in in the fur it also provides um uh, an environment for olfactory communication, though. I mean, and, and inadvertent olfactory indicators of what kind of gross things you might have rolled in. Sure,
0: if you're if you're a mammal who's going to go into an old factory, you would want it. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, you're giving me that look. Sorry, I just, you know, auditorily it.
1: Yeah, it does, it and, 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 and 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 actually, there's just you just add a D in this case. So
0: that's all you got to do. Yeah. If you have a spare D lying around, you just. Mm -hmm. Put it in an old factory and Mm -hmm. you're off to the races. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, the other thing is, isn't it just, okay, it's primarily, I want to say primarily, it is one of the main, uh, I don't know if it was the driving force in the evolution of fur uh, or it was one of several contributing factors, but Mm -hmm. thermoregulation is great. Creates a boundary layer. It's lovely. When it's dry. And the problem is that an animal that's doing a perfectly good job uh, thermoregulating, a cat that gets wet, right, suddenly has a problem thermoregulatorily speaking.
1: Yeah, I guess I don't know, and I don't, I don't know that anyone knows. I don't know, um, you know, fur is not going to tend to fossilize very well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's obvi- there's some extant mammals uh, and relatively late arriving on the scene. Uh, that even when wet um their fur still has a high insulative quali- uh capacity like sheep right? yeah or like, otters well oh, but otters yeah. is different but yeah. but sheep like the the wools of, of sheep and goats like cashmere yeah. goats and and lots and lots of sheep with all the wools um d- still do great even when wet mm-hmm. and uh you know you, you know this if you if you wear wool and you got like well i'm going to you know if if I don't have a way to keep the rain off of me, um, yeah. I'm going to be warmish far more than if I wore cotton, for instance. Uh, but I am going to smell like a wet sheep. Mm-hmm. Like that's no matter how merino it is, like how much they try to strip all the sheepiness of it, um, you're still going to smell like a wet sheep when your wool gets wet. Um, but otters do a different thing. Yeah. Uh, right. They 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 actually have a layer um, of of air.
0: The fur between, is so dense yeah. that the water can't get to the skin. So it yeah. keeps So there's the water. not even air. So, it's just yeah. Okay. But I mean that proves you can you can adapt fur so that it does something amazing in terms of thermoregulation with respect to water. But, but presumably the early mammals didn't. You've all you've all looked at a wet cat and thought, oh that's a pitiful <laughs> looking creature, right? This has gone from this sleek, amazing uh you know, triumph of evolution to a pitiful, you know, uh mm-hmm. critter until it dries out. So I don't know. I, I just I mean, I'm a mammologist, as you know. Mm. I do think it was an odd choice and not a perfect one.
1: Yeah, and then of course you have the uh, the fact that uh, we are in some anthropological circles known as naked apes. Yeah, and whenever this would come up when we were still professors, when when I would say this, I would get you know, students be like, "But we're not, you know, we're not naked. We're you know, we have plenty of fur. Like, no, well, okay, there there are spots, right? Yeah, um, <clears throat> but." But mostly, we've gotten lost it, and uh, and that is highly unusual. You know, the aquatic forms. Yep. Um. You know, some of the aquatic forms have have lost their fur. Not all of them. Otters, as, as we have talked about, but um, but the other the other main, I guess, the three other evolutions of aquatic mammals, re-evolutions of aquatic forms and mammals. The, the cetaceans, the whales, including the toothed whales, the dolphins and, and orcas, um, manatees and dugongs, and the pinnipeds, the seals, sea lions, and walruses. Seals, sea lions, and walruses who spend depending some time on land have Weird, like very sparse kind of coarse hair ish. I don't
0: think any mammal has lost it
1: entirely. None, right? But they, but none of them have rich coats. Right? Right. They, they're 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 mostly furless, mostly hairless. Uh, and who else? Naked mole rats. Um,
0: yeah, and, and then you know the bat, Centurio Cenex, has lost it from its face. There are lots of lots of places where it's disappeared. But yeah, um, but even I mean I don't know how much we actually now know about why our lineage did lose so much of its fur, but I take it actually to be an indication of exactly the thing I'm pointing to here, which is that we got a better deal by being able to use the fur of things like sheep or skins of other animals or whatever, that that gives us more, um, it gives us a higher return on investment than having a fur coat of our own which you're stuck with when it's hot i mean you can obviously have a different coat in the summer than the winter lots of creatures do that but being stuck covered in fur all the time has downsides and we because we can technologically substitute something don't suffer from all of those downsides
1: i wonder i don't i haven't i don't know this is in the literature or not but um with primates All but us of which have fur, although some of them have bare patches, Um, you have a reduction in the sensory focus of the rest of mammals on olfaction. Our our noses shrink and our eyes get bigger and they move to the front, so your frontations, your binocular vision now. Uh, And uh, for all the rest of mammals, uh, olfaction was really a primary way of communicating, and we don't do it as well. We, We can, and we don't sense smells as well as other mammals. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, hair is, you know, in the places that we've retained hair, actually um, underarms and groins, It, it they, they, they do um, accumulate secretions that have odors associated with them yep. that do communicate to other individuals. And things they broadcast
0: about, it really effectively. And because they broadcast very so
1: effectively. But I wonder surface. if the loss of hair um, doesn't mean that we're broadcasting less of that uh, then, then we would have been, which is useful if we are hunter-gatherers, which we were for a very long time. And if we can't detect our own smells as much because our doses have shrunk and our eyes have taken over all that brain real estate, uh, then it would be useful not to be spreading odors that we can't tell because we would get in the way of our own hunt.
0: Yeah, I like it.
1: Probably untestable.
0: Yep. Yeah. At least during the podcast, well, right? Yes. There's just there's no time. There's no budget. There's there's just
1: definitely no budget. Time traveling machine being expensive as they are.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Uh, I believe that you wanted to start with some... subject matter. Even yeah. This was subjecty.
0: Yeah, it was. It was yeah. just it was impromptu. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, a few different things. The first one has to do, and it's funny, I told you uh, what I wanted to explore, Mm -hmm. and then in trying to find uh, some example visuals, I convinced myself that I was was using a label that wasn't optimal. Okay. So what I wanted to talk about was what I have been calling overfitting. And overfitting is a term that exists in statistics, but it has been taken over, the majority of thinking on it is now in places like machine learning, okay?
1: Mm.
0: And um, so I'm going to say a little bit about what overfitting is, and then I'm going to say why I don't think it's the right term and suggest some others. Um, Overfitting, you want to put up that visual, Zach? Um, Overfitting is a quest, so this is in a modeling context, and the idea is you're, so those dots are a scatter of some phenomenon. And in this case, in this ex- this is a hypothetical example, the dots have a kind of curve to their distribution, but there's also a lot of noise. The dots don't all land on the curve, and this is the way data in a complex environment almost always is because so many different factors impinge on the distribution of, of the data points. So overfitting is the case where you force the model to embrace all of the fluctuations in the data, and you miss the overarching thing that explains their pattern most usefully. And so the problem in a machine learning context is if you train your machine on this data and it overfits, it gets all the noise in the data and it includes it in the model, then that model correctly predicts the data that you trained it on and doesn't predict any other data set because the noise will be dissimilar. And I should just remind people when we talk about noise, noise is always the result of other processes that you're not interested in. It's not fundamentally noise. You could study those other processes if you wanted, but if you're interested in, for example, let's say you were interested in the relationship between, um, Interest rates and home buying, and you looked at the rate of home buying. There'd be a lot of noise, and one of the factors would likely be the weather and how conducive it was to home shopping. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you, is is yeah. it the kind of weather that gets you to want to go and drive around and look at houses, which then results in people making offers and buying homes, or not? So you would weather is a factor, mm-hmm. but if you're looking at the influence of interest rates, weather is a, is noise. Right? You could also ask the question.
1: Also, is, also called a confounding variable.
0: Right, confounding variable. Um, But so if you're building a model, what you want is the right number of factors so that your model that you build based on observations, the inductive part of the process, then becomes predictive of behavior in other contexts where you can say, well, the interest rate is doing X. I expect the rate of home buying to do Y Um, like that. Okay, so that's what overfitting is, is the tendency to uh, include too much in the model so that it fits the exact pattern that you've seen.
1: You want to just put that visual back up? And since some people can't see it, uh, walk through them. I I think it's a nice clear visual. I don't know if you want to give it source, but um, underfitting here is also nicely visualized um, because uh, what people who haven't been in this in this area before may not recognize is that it's very easy to say, draw a line. Yep. Right. So to, to ask, uh, to ask an algorithm or, um, or, you know, to to just say, I'm going to draw a line, a straight line through, through data. Uh, and the fact is that many times, uh, an X, Y plot, uh, a straight line is not the best fit. And so you know you're talking about underfitting, overfitting. Well, best fit is also uh, the word that will tend to be used. Now, you know, and just right. You know, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? right. Um, so you know, I think that this is good because it's it's vague. It it's abs- it's totally abstract, right? We don't know uh, what it is that is being plotted here, um, but it looks like uh, the straight line misses real. Uh, variation uh, at low x, right, and the overfitting line uh, captures way too much variability that will probably render that um, unuseful, as you say.
0: So let's let's actually, it is. This is obviously not a real graph of anything, um, but let's throw something at it that has such a pattern so mm-hmm. that you can see why why this is important. Let's talk about uh, mortality versus age. If age is on the x-axis and the number of individuals who die at that age is on the y-axis, so y is the dependent variable, then we do have in uh, many creatures, including humans, we have a increased level of mortality in the first year of life, which then becomes spectacularly low if you survive your first year and then it goes up. Uh, It doesn't go up exactly the way this graph does, but the point is there's a curve to it that does have higher mortality at the very beginning. It drops to a minimum, and then it climbs over the course of life. And if you decide that what you're looking for is a line, you will get uh, an underfitting situation where you miss a very real pattern, which is the vulnerability of neonates. Um, If you
1: And indeed infants up to about a year.
0: Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and so then if you know if you were to graph uh if you were to graph a particular population's rate of death you would have things, you know, there'd be disasters there'd and, be
1: accidents, you know, even even healthy 25-year-olds die sometimes. Sure, you right.
0: could have uh, you know, bad uh trends on TikTok that result in people falling off of crates, you know, whatever whatever the noise is. I mean, that was a thing for a while. Crates? Yeah, people were stacking those plastic crates i don't know what the crates are actually used for but they're see
1: now the herpetologist and me heard k-r-a-i-t-s oh, he said that. like people are standing on no, piles don't. of writhing venomous snakes you wouldn't want to do that no, no. I mean, tiktok does not allow that sort for of thing. one thing no they're piling crates okay
0: they're piling crates however
1: c-r-a-t-e-s oh, yeah, milk, yeah.
0: Crates. milk crates for example um so anyway you don't want to overfit you don't want to underfit you what you want is a model that captures the the important trend and the outgrowth in machine learning and uh, models that are not machine operated to the extent that still exists um, is that it's predictive of data sets you haven't yet seen, right? It's predictive of novel data, not just matches the data that you fed into the thing. Because how useful is that? Right. Okay, so that's cool. overfitting and underfitting. Now, the thing that I've been describing as overfitting is the tendency of people in a non-machine learning non-statistical context, um, to see in data, or by the way, this is a pet peeve of mine. I haven't said this out loud, I don't think, yet. But almost always when people say data, they would be better off saying evidence. Um, data is a kind of evidence, but it is not the only kind of evidence. So you're safe if you say evidence. Mm-hmm even if you mean data, but you're not safe the other way around. In this case, since we are actually talking about data points, data is a defensible term. But in the context of people who have a belief about the world they are interacting with, there is a tendency to force the observations to match the model right so that is not a perfect fit for overfitting because in the case of overfitting you're talking about matching the model to sample data and it failing to predict new data and in this case what you've got is people who take every new observation and they force it to their model so i'm going to propose that the right term for this is going to be either shoehorning right forcing things into a pattern that they don't fit um or straightjacketing where things observations that should falsify your model actually are unable to escape it. And I want to point to a particular uh, one of these. My guess is this is a general category and that those terms are generally useful, but the one I see is actually one I have a little sympathy for. Okay. Okay, so here, here's the, the setup. Yeah. We don't know how to deal with collusion. I'm avoiding the word conspiracy because it has so many bad connotations. But if we say collusion, collusion is conspiracy. And the problem is when people realize that they are living in an era where they need to think about collusion because it's actually not a minor fact of our environment, they do not understand that they have stepped into a realm where the philosophical toolkit, the scientific toolkit that they've been handed now has a challenge that has to be addressed with extreme care. And the hazard is this. Boy, I was not expecting to go this deep into the philosophy. But let's take Occam's razor for a second. Occam's razor is the principle that um, the simplest explanation for a given set of observations tends to be correct.
1: All else being equal. Right,
0: all else being equal. And I would also say that the problem with Occam's razor is that it is simultaneously the fundamental principle of science, the way we decide what is likely to be true, the way we update our models of the universe over time is that we apply the principle of parsimony, right? There's a set of things that are facts and whatever explanation we have that explains those facts either by assuming less or explaining more and hopefully both, whatever integrates the assumptions at the lowest level and the explanatory power at the highest level is the explanation it's our it's our working model. And my argument is that actually Occam's razor simplest explanation tends to be true could be rephrased as given all of the evidence the simplest explanation is always true. If you had every uh, if you if you <clears> had <throat> yeah. infinite information about every observation from every side then the simplest explanation that explained all of it with the least assumptions would always be right. And we so when never you land
1: hit. on when 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 you find yourself in possession of evidence of conspiracy, for instance, or collusion, uh, and if you turn out to be correct, part of what you have discovered is uh, that you knew less about the system than you thought.
0: Right. And so the example that makes this perfectly clear is the process of framing, right? If we say, you know, uh, Ned was convicted of murder, and then somebody says, yeah, but he was framed, Mm -hmm. right? What they are alleging is that the reason that the evidence led the court to convict him was that somebody organized the evidence so it would point to this guy, yeah, right? So if we take this example, what the court saw, the simplest explanation is that Ned committed the crime, Mm -hmm. Right. If the court had had access to the fact that there was a meeting of people and at that meeting, a transcript of the meeting would reflect, well, how are we going to arrange the evidence so that the cops pick up Ned and he's then convicted? Mm -hmm. If you knew that that meeting had happened, then the point is, oh, well, in light of that evidence, the simplest explanation is that Ned was being railroaded for some purpose, Mm -hmm. right? So, okay. In the universe, if you had all the evidence then Occam's razor could be phrased much more strongly, and it would be a law, not just a principle. Mm -hmm. But we never have all the evidence. So, at the point that we are talking about collusion, we are inherently talking about some analog of framing, right? Collusion always involves the evidence leading you to a wrong conclusion. So that point is, I'm going to deny you the evidence of our meeting, and I'm going to leave you with the evidence of X, Y, and Z. And given that you have a bias and you can see this evidence and you don't know the evidence you can't see, you're going to reach a wrong conclusion. That's what collusion does, right? So at the point that you come to the conclusion, right or wrong, that collusion may be an important feature of the environment that you're operating in, you have to become suspect Of Occam's razor, because the question is, well, why is that the simplest answer? Is that the simplest answer because Mm -hmm. it's really the simplest answer, or is it the simplest answer because I'm standing where I'm expected to stand and I'm processing the information that I'm expected to look at? Okay, so, okay, that's great. So now you've got people who are interested in collusion who are aware that Occam's razor may be misleading them. Occam's razor, as it is phrased, not as it is actually true in the universe with all the evidence available. So what do those people do? Well, what they do is they turn down their dependence, their reliance on Occam's razor, which is the correct thing to do if you don't have all of the evidence and you want not to be fooled by those who would collude against you.
1: You get more uh, creative in allowing your brain to make connections between things.
0: 100% you free yourself from the normal rules of logic in order so that you could see what might be going on and there's nothing wrong with that that is actually necessary however you cannot then decide that the quality of your thinking is as it would be if you were in a laboratory where you controlled all of the inputs and you knew that the lab bench wasn't conspiring against you so the point is the the bench itself i mean you know in a a universe where the bench conspires against you, then you can't rely on the fact that the contents of the test tubes are really telling you anything because it may be that the bench is tricking you using the test tubes somehow. But that's not how it works. In the world of people, we mislead each other. And so um, yes, you have to relax Mm -hmm. your standards in order to think about collusion. No, you don't get the same level of strength of conclusion out of it. You have to be more careful than regular folks doing regular work on you know if you go into the field and you study the behavior of frogs as you did Mm -hmm. right you don't have to worry that somebody is arranging the frogs because what would have to be true a why would anybody want to trick you through frogs and b what would they have to act you'd you'd see them arranging the frogs before you got to your (laughs) study (laughs) site so you can just assume the frogs are probably doing whatever the frogs do nobody's trying to trick me Mm -hmm. right But the realms where that's not true, you have to relax your standards, but you also have to treat your conclusions with a kind of skepticism that is very rare amongst those who actually think about this stuff. So anyway, what they do is they do this straitjacketing or shoehorning thing. And I'm in a weird position now because, you know, I now am the subject of many a hypothesis of delusion. You... Can be pretty sure they're not true. You can't be as sure as I can be, but you. That that you aren't involved? Right. Yeah. Right. But in terms of people who don't know us, haven't known us for years, who've just come across us on the internet, right? They don't know, right?
1: No, and nor should they. I mean, we
0: have to, just just as we say to
1: everyone, I always said to our students, we have to earn your trust. Right. You do not simply trust us because we have the right credentials, certainly not because we've seen that abused for.
0: So my point is, look, I am in a great position to watch the behavior of the people who are doing this work in public Mm -hmm. because they're talking about me and I can be certain of whether things that they land on are true or not in Mm -hmm. many cases, right? So the point is, oh, well, Brett's one of the new gatekeepers and he's part of a network of cross promoters that the mainstream blah, blah, blah is using to X, Y, and Z. it's like, well, okay, let's start at the bottom of that, tree of uh that tree of contingencies one of two things has to be true either the allegation is that I am knowingly part of such an entity Mm -hmm. in which case I would know it you would and you on the internet can't know for sure that I'm not lying to you but I can know that your accusation is inaccurate and so Mm -hmm. I can say oh this person is sloppy because they've landed on a conclusion that they're certain of and I know it's wrong
1: but uh the argument will come back and this was the alternative to you might know it, maybe you don't know it. Maybe you're part of this uh, this vast conspiratorial network of uh, future orthodox agents, and you just don't know it.
0: Unwitting. Now, mm-hmm. if I'm an un- unwitting agent of these people, well, I can't be certain that's not true. But then again, it means nothing. Because mm-hmm. the point is, we know we live in a world full of propaganda, which is people trying to persuade us of things that aren't true, mm-hmm. so that we will... You know, mouth off on Twitter about them or whatever. So the point is, okay, either this is an empty accusation or it's a wrong accusation. If it's, you know, you're you're an agent of Goliath and you don't know it, well, yeah, okay, maybe, but you might also be. Um, if it's you are a witting agent of Goliath, and the answer is, well, I know you're not going to take my word for it, but no, your your logic is sloppy. Um,
1: so shoehorning of your of your two possible terms, shoehorning. Uh, doesn't really have a connotation beyond, like, I've got a thing and I'm going to fit it into this other thing. But straightjacketing does have this additional connotation of once I get you into this, you are constrained. Uh, and I think that some of what you're seeing, some of what you're, you're responding to here is uh, frankly driven by a desire to constrain you, a desire to have to steer you in a particular direction um, as opposed to just making a pronouncement because they think they're so clever and have uh, overfit what they see onto, onto a guy that they think they know because they see him on the internet.
0: Well, I think you're Pointing to a level I wasn't going to get to, which has to do with why people are sloppy. Mm -hmm. And let's put it this way. We are all human beings with uh, interests in the world, right? You and I have endeavored to be very careful. And we have tried to reach the truth as rigorously as possible to do our work in public. We have made errors. We have corrected them. It's painful. But the point is, you and I are more or less functioning as... I hate the term brand, but our identity mm-hmm. is we're going to do our work on public and public and we're going to try to get to the truth and you can come along for the ride and you can watch us do this and you can disagree and we may even hear you disagreeing and respond to you and all of that.
1: And actually um maybe entirely, but certainly almost entirely, this is this is draft. Yep. Right? Like this is this is not like the the book that we wrote. That was a final product and it's got errors and such in it too but that was meant to be to have staying power and to be something that we can refer back to and other people refer back to and that's you know that's the nature of reference of of the written word right yep. and uh this and it's you know it's 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 far less prepared than you know it's, it's not inherently the nature of the spoken word i always prepared a lot <laughs> more for lectures Right. Um, But this is okay. let's let's figure out some things that have that look interesting and do a little dive into it and then talk actually without having had the conversation in advance and see where it goes. And uh, boy, you know, it's there's, there's no net. Yeah, it's it's risky, um, but it's precisely the willingness to take that risk and to then come back when uh, when we made mistakes in doing so and saying ah you know this was wrong and here's how we know or here's how we found out and here's how how you might have known or he, how's, here's how we might have known in advance that so that wasn't the right way to go and it is that process. That, I mean that that is what the phrase teaching people how to think not what to think. Means yep. that's what it is. Let's let people in on the process by which we try to discover what is true.
0: Yep. Here it we go. Dialectical exploration, which is messy as can be, but the point is, you're not getting my perspective. You're not getting your perspective. You're getting the dialogue that happens as we try to hash out what is being said and what its implications are. Mm-hmm. But here, here's the point. You and I, there's no point. I could, I could write a script in which it would be true. But there's no point, if your identity is dialectical exploration, if that's the reason that people come to your channel, if that's the reason that people choose to support you, Mm -hmm. there's no point at which diverting from that program and embracing something you know to be wrong makes sense, right? Even if you're going to lose a bunch of standing for admitting some major error, it's always better because you don't know what we're going to be talking about two weeks from now to get back to the place where people rightly trust you because they know you're honest Mm. about owning up to your errors. Mm -hmm. So our incentives are well aligned with a public that wants to know what the hell is going on, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that what we're seeing is accurate, but it means that our motivation is not divergent from your motivation for tuning in, right? We are aligned in this regard, Mm -hmm. right or wrong. Okay. I don't know what the motivations are for the people who are engaged in the shoehorning and the straitjacketing. Some of them seem to be um incapable of accepting that others are seeing the same picture. And so the point is that person's not really seeing it. They're motivated because they're an agent of Goliath and Goliath blah blah blah. So mm-hmm. the the thing that I watch happen is there is an embrace of a model which facilitates the shoehorning and the straitjacketing and produces a kind of unfalsifiability. So the, the, the term I'm going to introduce here, which we've talked about before, is limited hangout. Yeah. Okay. So if you say Brett is a limited hangout, what that means is that somebody, in an effort to prevent people from waking up, is going to provide you with something that contains shocking elements of the truth, but that there's a cap on how deep the truth goes, right? So you could imagine that there's some job in which what you do is you present a sanitized version of the truth that prevents the really explosive stuff from emerging. Now, on the one hand, do I believe that limited hangouts exist? Of course I do. Absolutely. I think that this has been an important feature of our landscape since the Kennedy assassination, at least where we see lots and lots of exploration of the nonsense that's obvious in the story of that assassination that contains elements of the truth fused to elements that are nonsense. And so the point is it prevents us from ever reaching resolution on what actually happened. So, yeah, limited hangouts exist. Again, either limited hangout means you know that that's what you are, or it means nothing because it means that somebody has, you know, let you see part of the truth, but they're still obscuring something else, which is almost undoubtedly true for all of us. So if it means something, you know, Brett's a limited hangout, and then Brett would know that he was a limited hangout, then I also know that this is wrong. But then it allows me to go and look at what happens in the context of somebody leveling this accusation.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, what happens is, they now have a model that has built into it an immunity to falsification. It's not just a verificationism, mm-hmm. but it has an immunity to falsification because anything mm-hmm. I say that's um, shocking and seems to go against Goliath's interests, oh, well, he's a limited hangout. I told you that. Mm. Yeah, and of course he's going to he's gonna give you the shocking stuff. That's how he gets you to join his audience, and then it limits what you can see because now that you're listening to him, you're not going to get the real stuff, right, which only we real people are trafficking in, right? So the point is, okay, well, you've now built...
1: It's so tiring, <laughs> yeah it's tiring, but it's also
0: fascinating and it is um it is interesting to be on the side of it where you actually know for sure that it's you don't have to worry as we do with other people about whether there really are a limited hangout because in my case, I'm just in a position to say nope
1: that, right that but didn't i mean happen. i mean you just you just alluded to it um in this landscape in this era, we all need to be concerned about where we are getting our information and who the people we are getting our information from actually are and, and what, what they're up to. Yep. And I think in part, uh, you, but also you and I together, uh, doing this every week, uh, have generated not just goodwill, but the trust of people. And, and we were able to do it, um, I think, you know, for, for a few reasons, um, because the evolutionary toolkit um, forces you to be uh, a, a careful, rigorous thinker if you are wielding it with uh, with any kind of precision as opposed to just sort of waving your arms and looking for cool stories. Um, but also because of the particular academic jobs that we had um, that allowed for and really, um, you know, were the most rewarding when you really did go deep with students and explore things that were going to be uncomfortable and counterintuitive and not what they wanted to hear and sometimes, you know, comfortable and intuitive of course um but that that means that we have a sort of a, a, a toolkit that that has history and that most academics don't have that uh because it's never really expected of them and and you know one thing that is one thing that has been said many times it has nothing to do with us in particular in fact it, it goes the other way um is that uh You know, conservatives, until the colleges completely broke down, say 10 years ago, 20 years ago, conservatives in college, undergraduates, um, maybe emerged with college degrees um, being able to think somewhat more rigorously uh, than liberals in college, at least if they were getting degrees in like the social sciences and humanities, because um, their beliefs were put to the test over and over and over and over again. And that makes you a better thinker. And that should be less true over in the sciences, where your politics should not impinge on what, it, what ideas that you are having that are being put to the test. But of course, that's a pure world. It's not quite like that. Uh, but I don't even—I don't know if that's exactly the case at most colleges now, because they're all so broken. But uh, anyone who has had to uh, defend what they believe to be true from a wide variety of people who is therefore being leveled up by being forced to be a generalist if they, even if they weren't before. Because even if they think of themselves as someone who is very much a specialist, if I have to respond, uh, you know, if, if you're Luca Turin and you are, tra- gosh, he's trained as a chemist, what is is he even trained at? Like, if you're yeah, I think Luke, he's a chemist. Yeah, if, if you were Luca Turin and you have almost certainly discovered the actual mechanism of olfaction, which is not the mechanism of olfaction which some people received the Nobel Prize for, but if you have actually discovered the mechanism of olfaction and you go to uh, professional meetings before they stop inviting you, and you go to you know you you go to various places where you're invited and you enrage the people in the audience because it doesn't fit with what uh, with what it is that they are sure is true, you start getting questions from the physicists and from biologists and the biochemists and from all of these other people and who have backgrounds completely different from you and they think they've got the gotcha questions. And if they never do, everyone should be more and more convinced over time that maybe you're onto something and you, as Luca Turin in this story, um, become ever more adept at understanding the scope of the scientific story that you actually are sitting on
0: yep Uh, and there is something very powerful in every one of these cases about what happens when there is no script when there's transparently no script because what you're involved in is you know and there is a a scene in the emperor of scent um the Transfer burr book about luca turin right there is a scene that where Burr as the journalist is reporting on Luca Turin facing a hostile audience asking him questions and the level at which he is a virtuoso in answering them because he has been through every piece of logic. Any question that they're asking is something he's thought about a dozen times and he knows why it's not a devastating question. And so he's just, he's just volleying the stuff (laughs) back and forth. And, you know, it's quite clear that, you know, it'd be one thing if somebody scripted Luca Turin to be a would-be genius who knows the answer on some topic and it's not what the mainstream says, right? You could script that so it would look like that. But what you can't do is make it function like that in a hostile Q&A. And this
1: is is so far afield here, but this is often how uh, Hollywood and other literary forms get the nature of genius wrong. Right. they 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 when when they put especially scientific geniuses up on up on screen oh, right. and they ju- they're clearly on script they don't ver- they don't go off script like actually no the, the the brilliant people go off script and that's how you know
0: yeah it's been it's yeah. been beautified in a way that rings hollow just the same way when yeah. hollywood portrays you know the hacker you know, defeating the (laughs) ticking whatever bomb, you know, it just, it just doesn't look right. right? Anyway. Um, but okay. So you've got this model Mm -hmm. and you've got people, uh, the model is built so it doesn't require any effort. Anything that goes against the, uh, your model gets shoved into the, Mm. well, of course they would do that. That's how they get you through the door, Yep. you know, and then anything that goes you know, with your expectation that they're not seeing the full picture is, well, of course, that's that's their purpose as a limited hangout. Right. So anyway, the point is, look, that's just sloppy. That's just sloppy. And it's not the right way to think about collusion, even though limited hangouts are real and propaganda is real and being wrong is a feature of the landscape for all of us, unless there is one, and this is a digression, maybe re- return to it another time, But a lot of the people doing this, Mm -hmm. their claim is they actually had COVID right from the beginning. All right. Right? Now, there is one way that you could have done that. And the way you could have done that is with total cynicism about anything you were told. And the problem with the COVID landscape was that because everything was distorted A total cynic actually had an advantage in that they didn't accept anything, and that meant that all of those pieces of bullshit just didn't get through. But here's the point: that's not. I'm not saying maybe you are smart, and that's how you arrived at a level of cynicism that was appropriate to the propaganda. But you have to
1: have arrived there, though. If you start, if you start from either faith or cynicism, then that's not that's not a flexible. And therefore, uh, a, an intelligent position.
0: Right. You will. You, you, in other words, you have to outcompete an inanimate object for resistance to propaganda. Mm-hmm. Right. A chair doesn't accept any propaganda. It doesn't make a chair clever. Right. So, you know, I'm not. There are some people who I think did arrive there early as a result of a carefully refined uh, model that was ahead in detecting the level of cynicism, but not very many. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a, that's a rare position and. Um, those people will have made mistakes too, because because it's a complex landscape, and you know, trying, you know, if you if you mentioned COVID, if you mentioned SARS CoV two, then the point is you're already in the landscape of trying to sort wheat from chaff, right? And the point is there was an awful lot of chaff. Yeah. Um, but okay, um, so there's a, there's one more level here. In addition to just the basic argument, you are a limited hangout, and therefore I can you, there's nothing you could throw at me that I can't fit into that model. So this, actually, this is, the, this is the reason that overfitting is on my mind. It's not that what they're engaged in is overfitting, at the technical definition that I provided at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's that they are failing to detect their own having engaged in overfitting, right At the point that they have a model that um, fails to predict the future right? If it were a machine, the people who program the machines would say there's something about this model that's wrong. Is it overfitting, right? Mm -hmm. At the point that it's a human being doing this, they don't detect it. They do not. So for example, um, I took all kinds of crap, as you know, for my Tucker interview, the first of the recent ones. Mm -hmm. Um, That was over the question of COVID. Yep, And the um, the point was that this was the new narrative gatekeeping, blah blah blah. Um, that you know, Goliath is trying to regain control over the COVID narrative, and so
1: I just have to say, at one level, yeah, anyone who thinks you're a gatekeeper has clearly never met you. <laughs> I mean, even if you wanted to, you just don't have the chops,
0: right? No, <laughs> it's just not it's not in your arsenal <laughs> Where do I put that gate. Um, uh, Sorry, well, that could be a scandal. It could be gategate. Gate.
1: No. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah. Also, the bad puns. Not you don't want a gatekeeper who can't resist the opportunity to make uh, a pun. Yeah, it's yeah. just not effective. But um, anyway, the point is, all right. If people were crowing about my uh, inappropriate use of rhyme in declaring that there was a dream team, which again, what I said was all the smart people are on it, and a bunch of people were like, "Why am I not on it?" <laughs> <laughs> well, gee, I think you may have answered your own question, but. <laughs> okay, so they're all crowing about Gatekeeper and, you know, yeah. Brett thinks he's in charge of the Dream Team, which I, of course, never said. Um, I just said there is one and it has all the smart people. But anyway, okay, so people are crowing about this. Then I end up back on Tucker mm-hmm. talking about um, the migration, the invasion that appears to be embedded in the migration, or at least that's a viable hypothesis, and the even scarier hypothesis, which we may talk about later, about whether the mRNA vaccines that were distributed across the Western world could be somehow involved in that hypothetical invasion embedded in the very factual migration. Mm -hmm. Um, That should have caused people who thought I was some kind of new gatekeeper and Tucker is some kind of new gatekeeper should have caused them to say, huh, that doesn't sound like something that Goliath would want talked about at this level. But instead, what they did was they resorted to this model that cannot be escaped, right? And the point is, aha, yes, there were those of us who were on this for years and years and years, and you're a latecomer, and what you're doing is you're trying to ahead of the story or whatever they're saying so they had a falsification
1: well but is it the same people
0: yeah it, okay oh yeah yeah they've become Be-
1: because I mean it, it, there's so, it's so hard to track and so many of these accounts aren't individual organic beings right uh, who are who are doing things of their own accord that one of my default assumptions is you're always going to get the same kinds of arguments uh, whenever they could plausibly fit right now. And almost, it doesn't matter that these arguments are inconsistent from moment to moment from, you know, if, if, if if that's true now, it wasn't true then, and therefore your argument doesn't fit. Well, that's, that doesn't matter because, um, these people, if it really is organic people or people paid by some entity, whatever, um, just, just to, cast suspicion and fog on you and tucker carlson and me and like in a, everyone um if, you know if the point is not uh we're going to put together a coherent story like you're, you're living your life and it's a coherent story it's got it's incoherent <laughs> moments you <laughs> yeah. decohere sometimes but like you know it's 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 a lifeline yep. right it's a it's a it's you know from it's one timeline uh and it feels obviously like anything that comes at you and we've all experienced this people with you know five followers on whatever social media platform they're on have presumably experienced this. like some some person comes in from outer space and makes some comment you're like well that, that's not that's not no that's not what I said or that's not who I am or that's not relevant and you have the sense of like sure surely that's obvious like surely you know that that couldn't possibly like no, no no they don't care they don't care about your. Some of them do. Simply do not care. Some of them because are. the point is, um, make it more poisonous to be interested for other people who don't yet know who might be waking up. Uh, make it harder for them to
0: want to come on board. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is not organic. And I have a little rubric I look for um, when somebody's following count exceeds their follower Mm account um by a lot especially if they're especially fond of posting uh, reposting material rather than uh, posting things of their own Mm -hmm. um and i i block those things because i think it's a false it's a phony chorus Mm -hmm. but there are some real people involved in doing this too and um they they aren't Again, the really interesting thing is to be in my shoes because they'll say things about, like, we have the timing of that Tucker interview, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I know exactly what the timing of that Tucker interview was because I was in conversation, text conversation with Tucker. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, you know, um, in in both cases, both of these interviews, I alerted him to something. I alerted him to the World Health Organization stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you know what this is? And he said, kind of. And I explained it to him, and he said, do you want to come do an interview? Okay, Mm -hmm. that's how that interview happened, right? And then the same thing happened. I talked to him a little bit before I went to Panama with Zach. Mm -hmm. And then uh, on getting back, I texted him, and I was like, this stuff is incredible. And he's like, how about coming back to do it? So the point Mm -hmm. is, what was the timing? I mean, the timing was that I initiated a conversation which told him there was something interesting to talk about.
1: Right, so I'm going to try to do devil's advocate here yep. we are all trying to make sense of what we are seeing no many of us are trying to make sense of what we are seeing right so some people are just being obnoxious or nasty or yep. both um but of that majority of us who are trying to make sense of what we're seeing uh some of the things that we look for are strange timings and sure. um, and collaborations we weren't expecting. And, oh, I didn't expect that guy to have that opinion, right? Um, thing, anything that throws an error, uh, we sort of put up on this, you know, imaginary board uh, in, our, in our head of like, okay, do, you know, do I or do I not trust this guy? Or what do I think about this issue? Or actually there's two, like, I just don't know, right? And so I think, um, you know, as I've, as I've begun to say, like, look, unless I've seen it directly, or you are one of a very small number of people uh, who has seen it directly. I don't know if it's true. Right. So, you know, the stuff coming, the stuff coming across the screens from all over the world across, you know, from all variety of, of opinions, all variety of demands, by and large at this point, I, I say, I don't know if that's true. I, this is an insane way to live, but I do not know if that is true. And, uh, you know and of course as we have discussed endlessly uh, this is true in scientific papers now too where you know it used, used to be that I thought you know direct experience with the skills of observation um, or the direct experience with the skills of observation of one of very few people who I trust um, is telling me what they saw even though if I had been there I might have seen something different uh, and the scientific literature because, The scientific literature is written in a way that you can suss out what they actually saw as opposed to them only telling you what they think it means. Unless they're lying about the data or they didn't collect the data. um, And, and the people they got the data from are lying about it. Or the biggest way that this is done now in the scientific literature is yeah, actually it's not really about the data. It's a model. And this is you know, the one thing that I want to talk about today, which fits very well with what you're talking about with regard to models and collusion is, well, once you're in model territory, all bets are off. Like, and, and unless you know the particular models or how, or, or someone else is coming in I'm you know, like, okay, I looked at their model and here's how they arrived at, you know, this one parameter that if you just talk, if you just move that one, the entire model falls out differently. And oh, well, you know, the world health policy was based on that one little flipped switch. Yep. And how how can you tell? How like I, I say that as someone who has read a stupid amount of scientific literature and has begun now and, you know, f- forever with, frankly, the climate change papers, gone like, I'm sorry, guys, show me the paper with data. Uh, and I still need to know that you took your data right and that those Data are what you say they are, but if all you're doing is putting this through models and everything in your results is is model results, I don't care. No. There's there's no way to know.
0: No, it it is a completely inappropriate use of models. Yeah. Um, Models can generate hypotheses. They can't test them. Right. Um, But you're describing the Cartesian crisis, right? Yes. If you didn't see it or if the information didn't come from somebody that you know you deal with it with extreme skepticism... Uh, that is born of having seen what appears to be reliable conclusions uh, turn out not to be uh, yep. on closer inspection. And that is that is absolutely where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess before we close this out, I mm-hmm. want to just show something. And I don't mean to be picking on David Icke, although he seems to be picking on me. He needs me to disappear, I guess. But um, anyway, could you put up David Ike's uh, tweet tweet? about Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan's apparent new deal with Spotify. Okay, so David Ike, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, says, Why would someone who is a, quote, threat to the system, unquote, be paid $250 million by the system to broadcast on mainstream internet platforms owned by the system? The naivete is shocking. So many who think they are awake are really stupid uh still in a coma joe rogan signs a new spotify deal with Oh, so then he's just quoting a headline um, well,
1: well well, but for those who aren't um watching joe rogan signs new spotify deal worth a 250 250 million dollars that will spread his podcast across multiple platforms including on apple amazon and youtube i know this is not the point of what you're talking about here but cool oh joe
0: yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh mm-hmm. Joe's doing Great. amazing work. Now, yeah, I responded. Yeah. It's the Spotify
1: did did narrow uh his his reach a little bit.
0: Yeah. You put up my uh, Okay. So I said mm-hmm. uh, I quote tweeted David Icke and I said regarding Joe Rogan, David Icke asks, why would someone who's a threat to the system be paid 250 million dollars by the system to broadcast on mainstream internet platforms owned by the system? And I said because David the system mm-hmm. isn't a coherent whole. It is an emergent property made up of factions that can be played against each other. Spotify is competing against Google and X, which puts it at cross-purposes with The Who, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and DNC, etc. In other words, we just won a significant victory, though some will see it as a defeat. So my point there is not that there are, is not collusion in mm-hmm. the system. My point is that there is not one faction. You, yeah. have, mul- you have at least... Multiple factions colluding who may want different things, right?
1: Goliath is a strategy, not an entity.
0: Goliath contains collusion, but it is not one single global conspiracy as far as we can tell. Now David Ike may disagree with that, but mm-hmm. the point is he has put to, he has put forward a logical challenge, which is, it, you know, if Joe Rogan is really a problem for the system, then the system would not be paying him. And the answer is no. That's not true because Spotify is a corporation. Is it part of something else? I don't know, but it's at least a corporation. And making a deal with Joe Rogan that brings in a profit may function against the interests of the DNC. It may function against the interests of the who, but the point is that is not evidence of some grander thing in which Joe Rogan is really a part of it. Even though how many people? I mean, do you really want to have gone to battle over COVID and not have Robert Malone reaching a 10 million, an audience of 10 million people? Right? It's just a it's a loser of a battle. Right? Mm-hmm. That was an, that was a major victory, and so anyway, a model that straitjackets you, or you cannot escape it because it is constructed in such a way that evidence that goes in either direction all establishes the same thing which you're saying, which is it's all a plot, mm-hmm. right? That's not clever thinking. It's very, very sloppy. And uh, I don't mean to take the last word here. David Icke responded to me that what I said revealed that I'm a dummy. You want to put that up? He says, Mr. Weinstein... If I've ever read confirmation that you have no idea how it all works, then this is it. So thanks for that. I have been researching this full time for 34 years, and I don't need to be told how things operate by someone who bought COVID lock stock and
1: the other thing and
0: the other thing and explained during the fake pandemic, how he wore a scarf around his neck at home so he could pull it over his face when he answered the door. I, I called COVID For what it was, a hoax from the start of 2020 because I had spent 30 years researching the cabal and its methods for operation. You bought it because you hadn't. That clearly still applies. Now, I would point out a couple things here. This mask thing. Yep, I was wrong. Masks were not useful against COVID, not significantly. Was I a fool to think they might be? No. Until we knew that there was no fomite transmission, then there was a decent chance that masks would At least have some value because they would keep droplets that contain the virus from hitting a surface from getting to that surface in some percentage of the instances and that would result in a somewhat fewer instances of infection so do i feel like a terrible person for uh advocating for masks no was i wrong yes um what are we to think about this as an indication of the quality of my thinking Uh, I don't know, that I'm a fallible person who worked from a data set that was heavily polluted and became smarter over time, and I'm comfortable with that. Final thing I will say about it is I am perfectly happy with you evaluating my record on COVID, warts and all. But the way you do that, the rigorous way to do that, is to think of it as a question of area under the curve. So my advocacy of masks and my advoca- advocacy of masks, I don't know what I said about, about mandating masks. I know that I advocated for masks because it seemed a low cost and likely to do some good and that I, at the point the evidence said it didn't do any good, I abandoned it. I was always uh, appalled by the idea of using them outdoors, etc. So if you take the harm that was done by my advocacy of masks, and I will agree there was some harm. If you take that harm and you say there's an area under the curve of that harm and then you take the area under the curve of uh, if you compare it to the harm that might have been done by people being vaccinated who weren't vaccinated because they watched our podcast and realized that there was something wrong with that story and their understanding of what these things were composed of and how likely they were to be perfectly harmless, right? The point is the net effect that we had on covid was distinctly positive. And if you want to do that net analysis, great. If you want to pick one thing and harp on it endlessly, then that's your sloppy thinking and it's not our responsibility.
1: Well, and I think, um, I mean, I hadn't seen this interchange before. Um, and I don't, I, I, I recognize the name, but I don't I don't really know who he is. Um, but going from what he claims about what his work has been, um, I'm reminded of, this is going to sound like a total non sequitur at first, but I'm reminded of myself as a young person uh, going into college, I wanted to be a writer. That's what I wanted to do. And I very quickly realized in my literature and writing courses, and I was also taking science because I specifically wanted to be a science fiction writer, but I wanted to be a writer. I quickly realized, especially in the creative writing classes that um, all the turns of phrase and grammatical skill in the world doesn't give you anything to write about. And so, you know, writing is a tool and it can be an art form, um, but it's not sufficient. You need to actually know something. And so I think I feel the same way. And again, I don't, I don't know what it is that he claims to have exactly, you know, how it is that he frames what he is, what he does. But people who, um, you know, whose, whose job they understand themselves to be to, you know, figure out where everyone else is getting it wrong feels a little bit like that. Like, you know what, that's not actually either a particularly honorable, but more to the point, um, truth-seeking position. And uh, and here is where you and I landed on one, and, you know, this is our bias, but we think it is the right one, that evolutionary biologists train uh, in the complexity of the world where, uh, the things that seem totally inobvious and turn out to be true, there's just no question that's a social phenomenon. You're going to have to reconcile, well, like she said this and he said that. It's like, no, it's in front of you. The forest is what the forest is. The reef is what the reef is. The bats, the frog, whatever it is. And this seems impossible. I cannot reconcile this. What am I not seeing? Like it. at the end of the day, when you have one of those and it's nature and you're an evolutionary biologist, you have to keep digging what don't i know what did i get wrong which of my assumptions is flawed where like where is the error in my understanding of the universe because the fact is the universe is doing this thing it doesn't make sense according to the model i've got therefore i know that i need to keep looking i need to keep digging that is the training that you had and that I have had, and that that is how we approach everything, even when it seems to most people like, well, you know, what's evolutionary biology got to do with it? Well, everything almost always, you know, unless it's, unless it's rocks or quasars, it's evolutionary. And it is that training that, you know, you know, (laughs) you were thinking about collusion and conspiracy uh, a lot uh, for decades before, before COVID, but you were also thinking about, rainforests and the, you know, the patterns of biodiversity on the planet and the evolution of morality and the evolution of senescence and cancer and all of these other extraordinarily complex systems, which, you know, every single one of those, you had to apply a similar toolkit and it's, you know, in its generality, but the precise things were very different. And so when you start applying that to an understanding of political systems and, you know, how, how freaking NIH might be in collusion with the CCP. Okay. um, Didn't do that one before, but here are all the tools that we bring to bear on this. Let's go. So, you know, were, were you and I um, later to be thinking about Wuhan and the CCP than those who were focused on the CCP for years in advance? Sure. And? Like, you're always going to be later than someone. There's one person who's first. And uh, this, it feels, you know what it feels like? This feels like an analogous argument to cultural appropriation. You know, if, if you if you weren't the person who invented it, then you have no business here. Well, come on guys, like enough already. This is ridiculous.
0: It is ridiculous. And I, I would exactly along the lines that you are arguing, the diversity of the toolkit, mm-hmm. right is actually the strength. And it may right. be, if you want to just say, hey, I was the first person to spot that they were lying because I knew where they were lying for years before they started lying, you know? <laughs> if you want to do that, mm-hmm. then, well, okay, how operationalizable is that, right? How much good did you actually do, mm-hmm. right? All you've done is preserve your ability to claim,
1: you And know, you're canalized. Like, you can do that thing forever, right? right? Along that line. But did, yeah. You, yeah. did
0: you have a mechanism whereby uh, mRNA shots cause myocarditis? Did you spot that that is actually going to be true for anything you load into that platform has nothing to do with spike? Did you figure out a volumetric uh, uh, model for how to avoid contracting COVID when you can't uh, avoid interacting with people? Or any
1: respiratory pathogen.
0: Any respiratory pathogen. Um, You know, all of these things come together and the utility comes from the ability to see all of these pieces you know Mm -hmm. do we deserve credit for calling attention to vitamin d as a mechanism for increasing your immunity to all manner of things yes did we spot it first nope did we claim to nope in fact if you go back you'll see we highlight the people that we learned it from Mm -hmm. right so anyway um i think we made the point stop being sloppy about this there is something antagonistic to our interests out there it is telling us lots of phony stuff about pandemics it seems to be priming us for the next one based on all manner of nonsense Mm -hmm. and the what makes it happiest is when we fight amongst ourselves for credit or we shoehorn people into a straitjacket to mix those two <laughs> metaphors uh, in order to validate uh, you know, our own egos or whatever. That's, that's not doing anybody any good, so cut it out. Or as the shirt says, cut that shit out.
1: Yeah, yeah. we should send a shirt to him.
0: Not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: okay, uh, I want to talk just a little bit about uh, healthy diets and how we know. Mm-hmm. And this... Obviously, that, that topic could be, you know, many, many lifetimes of conversation. And this particular place that I want to go could also be many lifetimes. And, and so we're just going to skate on the surface um, because it it really, it actually really does fit with what you were talking about with regard to models and collusion and such. So uh, in 2019, The Lancet published a massive report known as the Eat Lancet Commission on Food, Planet and Health. And uh, you can just show my screen briefly here uh the actual title of the paper is food in the anthropocene the eat lancet commission on healthy diets from sustainable food systems and it's a paper with tons and tons of authors uh and um indeed uh
0: eat some sort of a cutesy it's an
1: acronym and i don't even i don't remember what yeah. yeah Yeah, they're not trying to eat the Lancet. Um, but yeah, so the Eat Lancet Commission on Healthy Diets from Sustainable Food Systems. Um, and it provides, uh, it provided, it's 2019, it was published, and I didn't know about it until this week, but um, it provided dietary advice that would, it claimed, provide for both healthier um, human lives, but also a healthier planet. Since publication, that paper published in the Lancet and commissioned—it was a Lancet Eat Lancet commission—has um, become one of the top twenty most discussed science papers across all of academia. Um, cited as of the publication of a, of a paper just this last uh, in this last month that I'll be mentioning, Stanton, 2024, um, cited four and a half years out by uh, f- over 4,500 other papers. Mm. Which you know, given the time it takes to publish papers, that's extraordinary, um, and maybe more remarkable by 631 policy documents. Okay, so this is an important document, right? Like this, and given what its what its claim is, like we got it, we got the thing that you all should be doing with regard to eating to make yourself healthier and the planet healthier. Here it is. Um, so, um. Let's see, let me pull up the, uh, um, sorry, Uh, yeah, here we go. So here's uh, just a PDF of that same thing, Food in the Anthropocene, the Eat Lancet Commission on Healthy Diets from Sustainable Food Systems. Uh, The executive summary is what it is. Uh, It's, you know, a lot of public policy stuff. We quantitatively describe a universal healthy reference diet to provide a basis for estimating the health and environmental effects of adopting an alternative diet to standard current diets, many of which are high in unhealthy foods. Scientific targets for a healthy reference diet are based on extensive literature on foods, dietary patterns, and health outcomes. This healthy reference diet largely consists of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and unsaturated oils, includes a low to moderate amount of seafood and poultry, and includes no, or a low quantity, of red meat processed meat, added sugar, refined grains, and starchy vegetables. The global average intake of healthy foods is substantially lower than reference diet intake, whereas overconsumption of unhealthy foods is increasing. Using several approaches, we found with a high level of certainty that global adoption of the reference dietary pattern would provide major health benefits, including a large reduction in total mortality. Okay, so there's one particular, um, the a paper came out uh, sometime in the last week or two um, by a professor out of Ireland. I think she is uh, saying basically, "What the hell?" Um, I went digging. I went looking, and I see. Um, I see error after error in your statistical analyses in your data in the models that you've used. And I don't know how you could possibly make, be making the claims that you're making. And she goes after a number of, of the, of their recommendations, but the one I want to focus on. And one of the ones that she focuses on is this bit about what you should be doing is eating no red meat at all. Okay. No red meat. So, um, let's see her, the, her new paper, uh, is, this Uh, perspective unacceptable if you would share my screen unacceptable use of substandard metrics and policy decisions which mandate large reductions in animal source foods Uh, and the whole uh, actually here I'm going to read the um, the abstract. Um, Many recent very influential reports, including those from the Global Burden of Disease Risk Factor collaborators, the Eat Lancet Commission on Food Planet Health, and the Lancet Countdown on Health and Climate Change, have recommended dramatic reductions or total exclusion of animal source foods, particularly ruminant products, red meat and dairy, from the human diet. They strongly suggest that these dietary shifts will not only benefit planetary health, but also human health. However... As detailed in this perspective, the paper that she's writing, there are grounds for considerable concern in regard to the quality and transparency of the input data, the validity of the assumptions, and the appropriateness of the statistical modeling used in the calculation of the global health estimates, which underpin the claimed human health benefits. The lesser bioavailability of protein and key micronutrients from plant source foods versus animal source foods was not adequately recognized nor addressed in any of these reports. Furthermore, assessments of bias and certainty were either limited or absent. Despite many of these errors and limitations being publicly acknowledged by the GBD and the Eat Lancet authors, no corrections have been applied to the published papers. As a consequence, these reports continue to erroneously influence food policy decisions and international dietary guidelines, such as the World Wildlife Fund's Live Well Diet and the Nordic Nutrition Recommendations 2023. So again, I'm sort of, you know, skating along the surface here going, this paper, this this commission published in 2019 says basically, stop eating red meat and dairy. Mm -hmm. And that paper, which has been uh, cited over 4,500 times in scientific papers and over 630 times in policy papers, is now the basis, the basis for dietary guidelines being put out by other organizations that have their own imprimatur of seriousness, right? And so it's like seriousness on top of seriousness, but these are like really unserious turtles, actually, all the way down. Like they're not actually what they appear. Like, these are like skin suit organizations. And you go back to a paper, um, the same lead author, the Stanton 2024, that I was just reading from. In 2022, she, uh, with a few other authors, published uh, a letter in The Lancet in correspondence called 36-fold higher estimate of deaths attributable to red meat intake in GBD 2019. Is this reliable? So she goes back, there was a report from the same group, Eat Lancet, uh, in 2017, just two years earlier. And she says, she and her authors here say, her co-authors here say, to what might you attribute a 36-fold higher estimate of mortality due to eating red meat just two years later? What happened? What, What do we now know about the dire effects of eating red meat that we did not know before? So actually, if I can just have my screen back for a moment to remind myself where we are here. Um, yeah, okay, so you can you can show my screen. What they did was um, there is something known in this, I didn't even know what to call this field, like global public health, diet, dietary nutri- nutrition, something, they're using um, many, many measures. One of them is the theoretical minimum risk exposure, TMRAL, which um, and in my, my sort of vernacular understanding of what this is, it's the exposure level, that is how much food or nutrients you're actually ingesting, uh, that minimizes the risk of death from all causes related to a single risk factor. So it's some kind of like aggregate data thing where in creating a model, as the authors of the Eat Lancet study did. They assigned for everything, for, you know, fruits, for green leafy vegetables, for red meat, for processed meats, for dairy, a TMREL level. And where they got that is pretty obscure. And indeed, in this case, where they got it was based on data that they had collected, which they, oops, hadn't really published. Like, no, actually, they hadn't published it at all. So they, these authors say, you've got to show us these data. And they finally have released those data, and they're also unreliable and ridiculous. But based on these, these data that, uh, that were in this 2019 report uh, that are either non-existent or don't say what they said they should say, they set the TMREL, again, that's the theoretical minimum risk exposure level for red meat to zero i think
0: it should be even lower
1: they just set it to zero so this is claiming to be research and it's a model in which they set the only safe level of ingesting red meat to zero and then wow they acted surprised when what they got out of the model was it turns out that eating red meat any red meat at all is gonna cause harm yeah and so <clears throat> these authors who are saying whoa 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 wait a minute um, <clears throat> have a number of a number of wonderful things that they say in response. Let me just read one more one more thing. This is again from the Stanton et al. 2022 letter to the Lancet in response to this ridiculous but very important in terms of setting expectations for what we should be eating worldwide 2019 study out of the Lancet. The assumption of a red meat TMREL of zero. Is counterintuitive given the role of meat in evolutionary diets and in contemporary <laughs>
0: hunter-gatherer populations. I was going to point that out myself.
1: In which cardio and with regard to the contemporary hunter-gatherer populations, in which cardio metabolic diseases were and still are uncommon. Furthermore, recently published results from one of the largest multinational studies, which was conducted in five continents and examined the association between different types of meat and health outcomes, the prospective urban-rural epidemiology. Study contradicts this premise. It is of considerable importance that the GBD 2019 risk factors collaborators provide the empirical evidence for this change in TMREL and confirm that there was no projection beyond the available evidence. We further question if the totality of nutritional effects of red meat have been considered in the meta-regressions. If the TMREL is assumed to be zero, red meat would then de facto be presented as an inherently harmful food. The assu- this assumption would ignore the well-documented nutritional benefits with respect to the supply of essential nutrients and bioactive components. <clears throat> In a nutshell, we've got a report from 2019 that was based on evidence that was um, not public, never published. Um, after having been asked to release it, they have just released it, and it is riddled with errors and statistical shenanigans and um, <clears throat> and and just general chicanery scientific chicanery and yet it is that report which is forming the basis for global guidelines for the reduction of red meat intake for every human being on the planet
0: the look red meat aside there is too much chicanery in our diet I think that is yeah clear absolutely and there's a way so first of all a thousand versions of money printers here absolutely right? you yeah. have a scientific and monkeying
1: with the baseline
0: monkeying with the baseline and, yeah, the baseline, yes. and if we yes. can only get our particular thing into the scientific literature dressed up as if it was the result of research that tells us what we should now be eating which by the way isn't going to affect our dinner party at all but we're gonna, right you know <laughs> yeah we're gonna ignore it um maybe we'll even laugh about it but you guys should stop eating red meat because this very scientific this very sciency paper so sciency, um says that you should and i think the point is look the food pyramid was garbage mm-hmm. remember the food pyramid yeah oh so comforting geometrically speaking um <sighs> yeah i mean it was really very very good stuff because mm-hmm. it was so intuitive and easy to follow and well wrong that was the problem with it but
1: Remember how we were supposed to laugh at people who thought there was pyramid power and like were going and sitting inside pyramids and, and yet we were supposed to not in any way laugh at these people. At the
0: food pyramid yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah, who appeared to be equally crazy. Yeah. But we have like an infinite series of abuses of people's tendency not to investigate the content of deductive logic. I realize that's a really convoluted way to say this, but... <laughs> If yeah, this bunch of things that you're not going to read, and if you did, you probably wouldn't understand them as true, then this conclusion is unavoidable, right? right? It's like, but, okay. I mean, in, People are in this skipping, case,
1: they literally just took the slider and was like, just set it to zero.
0: Set it to just zero. Set
1: it to zero. Let's just like start with the assumption that red meat is really bad for you and it's always going to increase death. And then let's pretend that we didn't set that as an assumption and claim it's the conclusion. Yeah classic modeling
0: chicanery Let's again set red meat to death and see what happens in our model we'll just see whether yeah. how much red meat we should be even eating given that red meat is death right, right. Mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah but it counts on the fact that even the pros who are citing this how many freaking times
1: over forty five hundred times in four and a half years, and that doesn't even account for the fact that it takes a long time to get stuff published.
0: Right. So the, so, the pros are falling all over themselves yeah. to embrace and cite a model that's obviously nonsense. That you know, and it. Yeah. it, it how much does this look like the ivermectin stuff, Great. where the fact is, well, the evidence is clear that ivermectin doesn't work. Evidence based on what method? Oh, a very complex method in which we shifted all of these things. Well, what if you know? let's say we give Alexandros Marinos a couple of weeks to scrutinize that method. What's he going to find in there? You know, Oh my goodness. He finds all kinds of malfeasance and you know, it would be necessary to figure out how important they were. We need to see the data. When are we going to see the data? Never. It's not going to be released. Right? right. So it's like that game. That
1: is on a need to know basis. And we need for you not to know.
0: Yeah, we, we really need for you not to know and especially not to tell Alex, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's some kind of shell game. And the thing totally. is, the food pyramid was not broken by accident. It was broken by lobbyists right. who needed the food pyramid to reflect yeah. a particular diet based on sugar
1: lobbyists, Crisco lobbyists, cereal
0: grains and yeah. stuff. Right? and the point is how, much, fat how many lobbyists. people died early because they believed the food pyramid that was presented to them that was actually the result of lobbying and not science you know mm-hmm. lots of them so mm-hmm. the amount of harm done to people was you know immeasurable and we you know can look back on it now and say huh that's a bunch of crap right or, aren't we clever but okay then what's the latest science say well mm-hmm. the latest science isn't any any more scientific yeah. right likewise you know the the american heart association right how long did I listen to the American Heart Association on the basis that they were at least, you know, maybe it's they the were American a little, heart Association. they were overly focused on the heart, but, you know, at least we can figure out what's good for you by listening to them. Well, you know, the seed oil involvement in the creation of this thing is, you know, conspicuous. Decades after, you know, the harm is done, yeah. we can discover that actually, you know, it's in some sense the product of a trade group. Right. Um,
1: so, yeah, it raises questions i didn't I did not um, go and look into any of the authors of the study i don't know you know I, I don't know what their perverse incentives are, but I'm, I'll bet we could find them
0: and even if you can't, the question right. is... Yeah. It,
1: it, uh, at the end of the day it doesn't it doesn't matter if they just took the slider and sent it to zero and then went, aha, our assumption has become our conclusion therefore, don't eat red meat that's not the way you're you're like you logically. And scientifically and morally and ethically and all the rest of it but logically you cannot do that
0: and the evolutionary point that the critic makes right yes it's definitely on my mind of points to raise, Mm -hmm. right? What are the chances that a species in which most of its populations had red meat as a major component of their diet is actually harmed by the very fact of eating red meat?
1: And the extant remnants of those populations have far fewer cardiometabolic diseases than the people eating the weird diet.
0: Right. Huh. Yeah. And what are the, you know, (laughs) red meat is not a novel product of some process. So the fact that we like it That's probably the result of a long evolutionary history and
1: that's proof that we're immoral
0: but you know and you know you don't remember the old joke uh god didn't want us eating uh animals why did he make them out of meat right (laughs) um you know it is it is it is kind of this point, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing when you're dealing with something novel that you don't have the ability to evaluate its quality because your ancestors didn't have it. But our ancestors had a lot of access to red meat. Yep. We like it for a reason. Mm-hmm. There are differences in how that meat is raised. The more it is raised in a manner that is similar to the animals that our ancestors ate, the better off you are. Shocking that. Yep. Um, but Gee, you can thing... also
1: make the animals sick by giving them a diet high in grains.
0: Funny that. Yeah. yeah. It's the animal's fault for believing the food pyramid.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, feedlot cattle shouldn't have been reading up on what the USDA I mean, thinks they should be eating.
0: You know, uh, I don't know if this is in their defense, but they are very gullible animals. So. Cows? Yes. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they were uh, buying into the food pyramid is perhaps at least predictable. But, um, but the other thing is, look, we know that meat is not inherently bad as a food substance, right? Let we us all have to agree. Know this. We know it because yes. I mean, lions <laughs> and leopards uh, don't have a problem with
1: well, it. Well, uh, so but, but we're no, not no, no, lions no, no, and no, leopards. No no,
0: no, 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 no. Let me finish the point. <laughs> lions and leopards don't have a problem. Therefore, biologically speaking, it is not an unsolvable problem that red meat causes for those who consume it. It's been solved in lions. So now, given that our ancestors We can't
1: eat cellulose and termites can are in a symbiotic relationship with organisms that can, and they this can is digest a, this. this. Is
0: a, I mean, I get it, but <laughs> yes. this is a false analogy. My okay. point is, lions don't have ill effects from red meat, so it's not like red meat is a toxin. Okay, Our ancestors ate red meat for millions of years. Mm-hmm. So the point is, what are the chances that a solvable problem, given millions of years of opportunity for evolution to solve the problem, remained yes. unsolved at the level that the actual level that we can tolerate is zero? I would say the chances of that being right are near zero. Right. right? Yes. They, they approach zero, they, right? So They absolutely do. Whereas
1: case, uh, the idea that it's kind of pretty much okay to have some stuff in your diet that was invented yesterday on an evolutionary timescale. Totally. You know, if it was invented in the 20th century and that isn't having its slider sent all the way to zero, uh, you know, and some of the stuff that was invented in the 20th century, it's probably going to be okay for us. But in general, minimize that stuff and maximize the stuff that you're, you know, that A, in Michael Pollan's words, that your grandmother would recognize as food and that you can be certain uh, your ancestors have been eating for at least thousands, if not tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of years.
0: Well, the way to do the question about the stuff that's recently been invented is you don't necessarily know if it's harmful, but what you do know is that it's not safe. That's right. Right, because it's the like point is
1: mRNA vaccines. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: To say something is safe is to say it is without risk, and when something is truly novel, it is not without risk. Right. You don't know what its long-term implications are. You don't know what its implications are for epigenetic regulation of stuff. Well,
1: right? this. I mean this this is exactly the position that we have had on GMOs since the nineties. Right. Since, I mean, I I remember, I remember TAing a class at the university of Michigan in like one of our first years in grad school, you know, mid, mid nineties. And it was, it was one of these like biology for non-majors classes and we had a paper on GMOs and even then it was just abundantly clear Okay. Yes, that sounds like Frankenfood, but put that aside. Like, get over your like aversion to it because it sounds not right. Think instead about what that aversion means. Like, why are you squeamish about something that has never before been together uh, evolutionarily? That means it's not tested. That means that we just don't know.
0: And the sleight of hand there is something that we can unpack, right? You yeah. can focus on the actual stuff the creature that's been genetically modified and you Mm -hmm. can say we can demonstrate no harm right okay did you test it in light of the farming practice that it alters did you test it Mm -hmm. with respect to trade-offs in other words you have made one strain tolerant to some pesticide which probably isn't good for you um but in order to get the uh, the insert that allows it to be tolerant, you have chosen a strain. And the point is, did, was that strain optimal with respect to all of the other parameters? Or did you sacrifice those parameters in order to get it to be tolerant to some herbicide? Right. So the point is, there's lots of logical reasons to wonder about how healthy that thing is and whether mm-hmm. or not it contains risks we don't know. But the presentation is very much like that paper. Yeah. The presentation is pseudoscientific. And it sounds like this, it sounds like this, it goes, um, human beings have been genetically modifying organisms for thousands of years. This is not different. This is just simply a matter of us doing what our ancestors have done, yes, in a newer, higher tech way, but there's nothing new. How could genetically modifying an organism be inherently bad if that is literally all of our food crops and all of our animals, right? And the point is okay yep.
1: that is exactly what it sounds that's like.
0: what it sounds like mm-hmm. and the problem and it is, always
1: it comes in the calm measured tones of the would-be scientist wearing the lab coat and holding the glassware and they're wrong
0: right they're wrong and the point mm-hmm. is most people who do not have the training to spot what's wrong in that seemingly logical presentation Right? They are belittled into not raising their questions by the idea that they are being superstitious and they are actually frightened of something that is not only not harmful, but logically incapable of being bad.
1: As many people were uh, hounded into accepting the COVID dogma. Sure. around the vaccines, around um, off-label use of drugs like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine to treat. Because anyone who began to raise questions about this, if you didn't have, and courage may not be exactly the right word, but the courage of your convictions based usually on you know either cynicism, just like I'm going to go against what these people say because I know they tend to be wrong and that's the safest bet, or a history of trying to navigate to like, no, mm, I know that they've lied to me because they can't possibly be safe. Therefore, what else? what else might they be lying to me about and what can we know for sure? That, that it, was, it was the same shaming technique that we, that we saw um, on, a, on a slower scale with regard to GMOs in the 90s, as, as those were being trotted out, actually. It was actually, very much the same thing. It is the same yeah.
0: in, in, in this way. There were two things that were possibly wrong with you if you didn't buy their vaccine dogma. Mm-hmm. One of them was that you were mentally feeble. Mm-hmm. right that you didn't understand how well these things had been tested and how much you were freaking out over nothing um and the other is that you were morally deficient and that you were a parasite who was gonna um put grandma at risk in order to hedge out the tiniest of risks that you would expose yourself there's
1: a third one cowardly scared of
0: needles scared of ne- <laughs> that one didn't <laughs> stick so well but i agree that was deployed. no but some
1: but, but i i that's one that I saw testimonials um, of the converted. I got over my fear of needles and I went and got the jab.
0: Yep. But the idea of mentally feeble and morally deficient.
1: Mm-hmm. I can approve on neither.
0: It is also yeah. what's going on with all of this um, pseudo wisdom that is emerging on the food stuff, right? It's like, oh, here's a bunch of hand waving science bullshit um, that. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going against if you eat that stuff, and mm-hmm. what's more, you're killing the planet.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. You know,
0: you're just bad, mm-hmm. right? That's what's wrong with you. And you know, these things are like really,
1: your desire for a hamburger is worth destroying the planet. Right? Exactly.
0: Right. And so, the the problem is that we uh, humans are emotional beings that can be made defensive by these kinds of arguments, right? Mm -hmm. You want to prove that you're not stupid. And so you want to live by their guidelines so you can demonstrate that you understood their paper, which is not comprehensible comprehensible because it's (laughs) wrong. Right. (laughs) right. Um, Or you want to demonstrate that you're more than doing your part uh, for a good old planet earth. And, you know, look, I love this planet like no other. I'm really fond of it. Mm-hmm. but You know me both, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been good to us. Mm-hmm. I have to say, of all the planets that we've been to, this one's been the best, and not by a small margin. So, um, all right. That's, but in any case, the, the manipulation via these emotional channels mm-hmm. that then results in pseudo-analytical analytical conclusions is a pattern that we should just get good at spotting because this isn't the last time they're going to use it on us.
1: Oh, no. It's not. No. Nope. All right. Um, there are a couple of things that you were thinking about maybe talking about. Uh, we've been going for a while, a couple hours already. Um, uh, did you want to go to either? Uh,
0: yeah. Let's, let's talk about the orcas.
1: Orcas. Okay. Briefly.
0: Um, so a story emerged this week. And I have to tell you that this is a tough story for me, actually, because um, I connect it with my reaction to uh, roadkill. Animals that have been killed on the road, mm. which I have always had trouble with. Right i I am not an uncaring person when it comes to harms to people, but there's something about animals killed by cars that just it it hits me hard every time. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, maybe that's a defect in my character that I feel it as viscerally as I do. But anyway, a story emerged yesterday. Um, this is not about roadkill. It is about a pod of orcas, and this pod of orcas was trapped in some sea ice off of northern Japan. Hokkaido, yeah. Um, and it was a, a large pod, um, including several calves, and, th- and this really got my attention because there's a uh, there are pods of orcas up here where we live. And recruiting, you know, a year in which a calf, you know, is born and makes it to next year is a big deal around here. This is a uh, a tough process. So anyway, yeah. the idea... I mean, the
1: interbirth interval at a minimum, I think, is two years. And sometimes it's way longer than that. So, and a I mean... lot of the calves don't survive. Right. And yeah.
0: so anyway, um, you want to show the video of these trapped orcas?
1: Oh, my God.
0: Um, so here you have a pod of orcas in a small section that is ice-free, bobbing up and down, clearly trying to breathe, and you imagine with the calves there, they would have an even harder time getting to the surface than the adults, and anyway, the the story struck me as um, potentially very tragic, because a number of things were true. One, there didn't seem to be any plausible plan for saving them well, I can imagine that if there were an icebreaker ship nearby, maybe it would be doable. There's a question about the depth of the water. Anyway, nobody seemed to have an idea of how to break the ice to free these animals. And it looked like, you know, these are warm-blooded creatures who were going to exhaust themselves and die quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea, you know, we get very focused if a a group of miners gets trapped in a mine and we know that they're going to suffocate and there's a race to save them. And I understand why those stories obsess us. But these animals, um, it was like that story, you know, these are obviously incredibly intelligent creatures and also not common. I don't think these particular orcas are endangered. but um, The particular population that they're coming from. Yeah, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, the I, this was like an entire little... Lineage, right? Right? That could be wiped out by having uh, gotten trapped by the ice in this way. Apparently, it's not the first time this has happened. But anyway, that struck me as a, you know, just an awful predicament. Um, uh, Good news, I think, is that as of today, there's no sign of them, which people take could be that they succumbed. But I think.
1: Although. It seems unlikely that they would all have succumbed at once. So, yep. I would, I would, it, it would, it would seem that if they were beginning to fail, that there would be fewer rather than none. Right. That, that none looks like
0: escape. Like escape, yeah. Although it could be that, as you know, you know, these are intelligent creatures, they, you know, have a social hierarchy. It could be that it, it became obvious that the only way out of this was to attempt to swim under the ice farther than and none of them and, it didn't and work. none of them yeah. made it that's a mm-hmm. possibility too. Yeah. Um, so I don't know I'm 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 interested to know what their fate was and and concerned that No yeah, we may never know. I don't may, they
1: weren't these weren't tagged animals I don't think.
0: They weren't tagged but they may mm-hmm. be known because of you know photo IDs and all. Yeah. Not that they carried photo IDs they don't have pockets but No they people, never get stopped for speeding. <laughs> even though they're fully capable of it. Oh sure. Um, but people take Uh, they have uh, atlases of the idiosyncrasies of their dorsal fins and their color pattern and so it's possible that these are well-known animals Um, i don't know but anyway i thought this was an interesting story for a number of reasons one there's the simple tragedy of it Um, the fact that populations of orcas have been trapped in this space a couple of times begins to suggest an evolutionary question here So,
1: yeah. And so when you first told me about this, I was like, oh, Japan, sea ice, that seems really far south. And apparently Hokkaido, which is the northernmost island um, where this was uh, happening, is the southernmost point where there is regular sea ice in the winter. So it's not unusual for there to be sea ice there. Although, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on with the circulation in the Pacific. It's, that it's that—that does seem pretty far south for there yep, to be sea ice. it does. Yeah.
0: Um, but... To the extent that this is a regular hazard, you would imagine that there's an evolutionary response in the whales, mm-hmm. um, that they yep. would know that this was a hazard. But think about the following question. Let's say that none of these animals survived. Well, then you would have the production over the course of I don't know, a decade of animals that would replace them in the ecosystem, right? There would be room in the ecosystem for that many more whales. If, um, if
1: other parameters are, um, are stable, stable, then yeah. you expect other populations to produce more surviving calves um, that then end up creating a new pod.
0: Right. So all else being equal, we expect those animals to be replaced. Let's say that this has happened a thousand times. That would create a very weak selective force for trepidation amongst these whales about swimming into whatever conditions result in them getting trapped, Mm -hmm. right? Because the new whales are naive. And so if there was a little predisposition to be worried about ice, you know, it might, you know, the whales that didn't swim into the ice would be more likely to produce that population. So there'd be a little bit of evolutionary pressure, but not much. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and this is actually a great example of why some of us critters, especially humans, but also almost especially Uh, Toothed whales um, and, you know, uh, wolves and and,
1: elephants and apes and parrots and corvids, crows, the long-lived social generational overlap, long childhood
0: beasties. In which our genomes have offloaded so much of the work of evolutionary adaptation to a cultural layer. Right? If these animals survived, or if any of them survived, then Mm -hmm. what they carry with them is the understanding that that condition, which seemed reasonable enough to swim into, was actually deadly. Mm -hmm. Right? If all of them survived, they will have that knowledge because they will have gone through this terrifying experience. And that terrifying experience, what is terror? Well, terror is the, you know, uh, uh, all right. Activate these contingency programs and definitely remember this because it's really important and you don't want to end up in the situation again, you know. So, the sort of negotiation with God that a human might go through, like if I get out of this, I'll never do it again, right? That kind of thing. Um, You would imagine that these whales would carry this as the equivalent of a whale story, however, it is encoded, right? right? Even if what it is is that the baby whales detect their parents become, you know, concerned as they swim near the ice and they don't know exactly what it's about, but they know that ice is more dangerous than it looks.
1: Yeah. Well, so, I mean, two of those parameters I just gave in that list that you're well familiar with, long-lived and generational overlap, right? Cultural transmission of lessons learned from earlier in life when you are yourself old. That is is what all of those organisms that I mentioned uh, have the capacity to do. And this fits very neatly with what is called the grandmother hypothesis, right? So, you know, why, and I'm trying to remember, is it elephants or orcas, or is there some evidence in both that they are the only other organisms besides humans that go through
0: menopause? They go through menopause. And so, like, what is,
1: what is the point of post-reproductive life? Well... If you're long-lived and are social and have generational overlap and you have long childhoods and you have to learn how to be who you are, as opposed to you're born and you're a giraffe and within moments you can run from leopards, if you have to learn how to be who you are, there's going to be a lot of value in continuing to impart those lessons learned and generating new lessons and um, and figuring and engaging in the act of discovery and creativity long past when you might be producing kids.
0: Right and so the prediction of that hypothesis is that uh, orcas or any creature that has a grandmother will outcompete all else being equal will outcompete a similar individual who doesn't because the benefit of the information that, that their grandmother carries uh, will provide a material advantage because
1: no, no matter how good your parents are or especially if they're not very good, uh, your grandmother and your grandfather um, but you know you your grandmother, you know, is your grandmother if she's your mother's mother, <clears throat> um, has been around for longer, has seen more. Yep. She's lived, She's she has survived more things than your parents have. And while what she has lived through and the lessons that she has taken to heart most may be farther from your current circumstances because more time has elapsed, uh, the fact is that she did it, she made it through. And she may remember that time that we were trapped in the ice off Hokkaido. And here's what we did, guys.
0: Right. Especially for things that have very low uh, periodicity. Right. Right. The chances that your grandmother saw it, but your mom didn't, right, is high. And Mm -hmm. so uh, the advantage of having a grandmother who knows uh, is potentially the difference between life and death. So anyway, I don't know what's happened to these whales. I sure Hmm. hope they made it out. I sure hope they made it out. I mean, it's such a a remarkable and special creature. And, um, you know very sad if they exhausted and drowned, but let's hope they didn't. And, you know, and I
1: hope, and I hope less, but I hope that we find
0: out. Yeah, Yeah. I do too. I I will be, I will, uh, it will be forever an open question until we do find out. Yeah. Um, So I hope so too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I thought, I thought what a fascinating (laughs) and terrifying circumstance. Yeah,
1: indeed. Well, I think we've arrived.
0: I think, I think we have we, done
1: that. I think we have arrived. Uh, so we will be back uh, next week. Same time, same place. Uh, please consider coming over to Rumble and joining the Dark Horse channel. It's utterly free. And you help us out with with our numbers. And also, while you're at it, come join us on Locals. There's been a watch party going on during our live stream as there always is. We put guest episodes out there early. And there's a ton of great new content there in the last couple of weeks, uh, emerging from Brett and Zach's uh, recent trip to panama and to the darien and, and in the panama canal yes zach
0: and i will say um this is zach speaking that brett and i are going to do an ama about panama so if you have questions um, this friday on locals we're i'm not sure exactly the time yet but we are going to be taking questions about that trip specifically and answering them oh fantastic we will be taking questions but no prisoners on our own are do not plan to take any prisoners uh, that is a, an ex, uh, an important correction. We do not know if we will be taking prisoners, but we do not intend to. So anyway, <laughs> uh, support on Locals, and you get to ask questions about that trip if you uh, if you have any. That's fantastic,
1: yeah. So uh, come join us at, at Locals, um, and yeah, we got we got other places that you can find us. I write at Natural Selections, my sub stack. Uh, we've got the store.org where you too can get your very own Cut That Shit Out shirt.
0: And I will point out, that our limited experimentation with this shirt in the family has established that it comes in handy a lot. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, also, for those of you who um, are unhappy enough to live among uh, mask wearing authoritarians, we have uh, Jake's Micro pizza. Uh, Which uh, it comes in a variety of sizes, all microscopic.
0: All microscopic. Yes, Um, we have a number of toppings to choose from. Mm -hmm. Many of them made from red meat. (gasps) Yep,
1: but all organic, GMO free uh usually locally sourced although it depends on where in fact you're buying your jake's micro pizza we do not actually supply the pizza we do supply the merch from jake's micro pizza store uh you you can get the pizza oh Oh, it comes with pizza yeah good we don't we're not having to pay extra for that like no
0: not even for postage it is that small oh
1: yeah Yeah. i mean it's kind of like homeopathic pizza. It so is, it's at levels like levels
0: pizza, <laughs> that. yeah it is it is homeopathic pizza. yeah So um,
1: levels are so small that you just don't have to get the permitting
0: it's yeah. it's really in every way that a pizza can be perfect it is perfect uh unless you're hoping to fill up on pizza then you should find a different source
1: yeah if you're hungry jake's micro pizza is not for <laughs> you <laughs> but if you would like to be constantly eating so as to not have to put on your mask this is your this pizza. This is the pizza for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is this is your pizza. Um, <clears throat> lots of other great designs um, at our store at darkhorsestore.org. Um, dude <clears throat> I could use some micro pizza right now. Yes. Back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Couldn't sh- we all? Check out our sponsors this week, which were uh, MD Hearing and. Armra and what was the first one that I read? I can't remember at the moment. Oh, Helix, of course. I was I. It just it it was soporific, um, as it should be because it's a mattress company. Right. Yes. No. Um, so it's Helix and Armra and MD Hearing all um, our sponsors this week. Check them out and remember that we are supported by you. We are grateful to you. Join us at Rumble, join us at Locals, um, any number of other places, but also share and talk about what you're hearing here. And, uh, and uh, until we see you next time, be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. Be well, everyone.